Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamaro Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. How you doing, Manila? Oh, a lot of things. I'm I'm <laughs> exhausted. I'm relieved. The parking I was complaining about yesterday, one of those worker trucks, I'm willing to bet it was the dude that blocked me in. He got in a wreck outside. Lushan Fraud. Hilton. Lushan Fraud. Just, just saying. Yeah, just a little Karma. bit. Karma. I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> I saw it when I cruised by this morning looking for parking. I was like, hmm, pretty sure that was the dude that blocked me in yesterday. People who are listening on the radio can't see the self-satisfaction that's on Manila, uh, Manila's saying. face right now. <laughs> he blocked me in for like eight minutes. Yeah. And today... Pretty sure that was the the same. You know, the, the construction trucks had like a tag number, yeah. dot, like it says dot whatever. Looks the same, yeah. But it has like a, a certain serial number on the door. I was like, I think I saw that, that was that's the, guy. the guy. I think it was him. And I was like, oh, he clipped an SUV. Mm. Uh, he was probably trying to steal parking too. <laughs> <laughs> and look, it's somebody who said their car clipped by a truck. Oh, exactly. It's horrible. Was it a construction truck that hit I yours? have no idea. I mean, oh, it, when I came, it was that evening or you know, 11 o'clock when I went downstairs and all of this stuff was strewn across the road. Oh, yeah. it was that bad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was bad. I mean, they kept my truck for like, what? They kept my car for two months. Well, I just figured they were slow. Parking well, they were slow. But and there was issues getting materials in. I didn't realize in, they like rammed into your car. I thought Yeah, they, they rammed the side of it think- and all that stuff was going all over the place. Yeah. So I feel for the other guy who I know the poor guy. I yeah. think I think it was like a professional driver. It's one of those black suburbans. Yeah. And the guy was in a suit. So Oh, that's horrible. I'm willing to bet he was a, a professional driver and the construction truck clipped the front corner, the driver's they, side they corner. Screwed that guy's day the whole day. Up. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just saying, all this construction, city's not doing anything about protecting the people <laughs> that work here or nope. Regular civilians trying to go about their day with, like, this influx on K Street full of construction vehicles. Yeah. Basically taking up all the parking. They just do whatever they want. Yeah. It's it's aggravating. It's just kind of how it is. And I got to be honest, it's been that way the entire time. If we did it, we would get tickets. If we were blocking traffic, if we blocked lanes, the police would be called. They'd come out, roll up on us, give us tickets for, you know, blocking. Hell, they would tow your car. I mean, it wouldn't even be close. I mean, they, they wouldn't but think twice about it. But these guys get a pass. Like, that's... No, they're not... It's not an emergency vehicle. Of Your construction not. vehicle. Yes. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, so it's aggravating. I put it mildly. I'm just going to say I think karma <laughs> has emerged today. Like I said, there's a level of self-satisfaction. <laughs> I feel bad that, for the other it. guy. I yeah. do. But but the, the construction dude... Screw that guy. No, screw that guy. Sorry, um, screw lo- those dudes... Yeah. That every morning, yeah. come out here and just stare and snicker at the regular people trying to park their <laughs> regular, regular size cars. <laughs> the regular people. <laughs> That's funny. Um, there's another thing that took place last night: the Poland missile strikes, or the missile strikes that apparently hit Poland. That immediately, immediately, Russia has attacked the Polish territory, killing two people. NATO, NATO. I mean, immediately. Oh, I and know. I was on the phone with somebody that was like. 
this is nonsense. I was like, this is a false flag at best. As soon as I saw it, I was like, that doesn't, where's this town? I look it up and then we know that Russia was bombarding Kiev. Yes. And the, the uh, electrical grid infrastructure and right. all that. Bombing the hell out I of I don't think they were Ukraine. bombing, they went west towards Lviv, but not into Lviv. Well, the way they, they put it, they're saying it was 35 miles away from the Polish the, the, border at the, at the no, that longest little, part. That little town was only four miles into the Poland side. Right. And the last I had checked when they were bombing Kiev at the time with the missiles, it was, Kiev is like 500 kilometers right. away from this town that I can't pronounce in Poland. Right. It's like, okay, how did that at 300 kilometers. get that far? And, of course, Biden comes out and says, I don't believe that was a, um, a Russian well, missile. Well, he took a while. Yeah. Well, he, well yeah, because implications. Like, meaning, took a while. if you come out and say that Russia attacked Poland, that gets right. complicated. And but if you're a lot in the United States. Did, and immediately, Volodymyr Zelensky yes. was like, hurry, invoke Article 5. Yes. Let's get them, guys. Let's get in there. Let's and get in there. Let's get be very them. honest. Do we really believe that Poland wouldn't necessarily take steps in order to try to amp this up? I mean, they've been sure. insane. And so me hearing Poland say anything is me ignoring Poland, if right. I'm being bluntly honest. And yeah, at this point, they're owning up to the fact that this is most likely a Ukrainian oh, missile. But so does that make it any better that... Well, that's the other it's part. Polish? It's I like, mean, that, sorry, why it's is it okay that Ukraine attacked Poland? So what, what is Article 5 going to be enacted now? Because Ukraine, who is not a NATO member, attacked, attacked a NATO member. Poland got attacked by Ukraine. Right. The, the real Two headline, people died. The real headline is Ukraine sent a missile into Poland. That killed that two people. That killed two civilians. Yes. That's the real headline. Yes. That's the meat and potatoes of the story. AP misleading everybody. I mean... Well, even that's a story. I don't know if it's disingenuous or if it's deliberate disinformation. I think it's both. I think it's both. I mean, they didn't even take the moment to figure out, okay, where did this come from? Who is it more likely to do this? They sourced it to Russia. they did. And they claimed anonymous sources. Of course. They're always anonymous. Really anonymous sources? They're always anonymous. Yeah. So that was like super frustrating last night. Hard for me to sleep thinking, oh my God, are we going to war? Are we officially, I mean, officially, because yeah. we're at war, let's face yeah. it, but officially. And that, you know, that was it. And then the whole Trump thing got, he was probably mad. It got overshadowed. Yeah, he got stepped on. <laughs> it's like, I had to look, I was like, oh, that's right. Trump was supposed to announce. Right, I, I did that too. I was like, oh God, Malik's down there. Let me turn this on. Yeah. Where's Trump? Yeah, oh. when I saw that, I was like, there's no way. I didn't, I didn't buy from, I mean, the implications of the consequences are too big. It's possible the mistakes are made, fair enough. I wasn't buying anything out of Poland Poland or Ukraine. Now they're like, it was an unfortunate accident. Now it's an unfortunate accident. Is what Duda is saying. Yeah, now it is. Now it is. Initially, it's war. We've been attacked by Moscow. Oh, it's an unfortunate accident. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is it? Now it's unfortunate. Is it? But this should underscore that you need to take what Volodymyr Zelensky says with a grain of salt. I wouldn't even take it with a grain of salt. I wouldn't even take it with a grain of salt. Like, any, look, anything, Ukraine has lied so much and putting out this kind of propaganda. He is the number one disinformation peddler. Yes, and the United States carries that nonsense regardless of what it is. Oh, Snake of, um, what is it? Snake Island. Yes, Snake Island. Or, for that matter, the ghost of Ukraine. Or um, Russia is bombing its own nuclear facility. I mean, some of this stuff gets so ridiculous. Russia is bombing its own people, and they carry it with a straight face. And sometimes it's like, 
How are you carrying this with a straight face? Russia bombed its own pipeline. Right. When they evacuate Donbass, they've kidnapped Ukrainians. Yeah. It's like, what? No, I- these people got on buses. Yes. To go to safety. Yes. Or I I love the one where they were saying that as our battalion members were, what is it, transported as opposed to Ah, captured. captured. Yeah. It's like, no. Technically, that's They weren't transported. Technically. Okay. They were transported, all right, but they were transported in custody after being crushed. Yeah. Against their will to a prison. Just a loophole, Jamal. Yeah. This is the AP reporting. They're they're serious and, and you can trust them. That's right. That's why Lavrov is... Recovering now right. from his Lavrov, deathly I'm going to read a statement from, from dead man, dead man Sergey Lavrov, who <laughs> right. spoke All a right. few hours ago. Right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Let's get to the stories, because allegedly the main story here stateside is the Donald Trump thing. Yes. I would argue that the big story is that we're not going to war officially. NATO 5 has, Article yes. 5 has not been, 5. been enacted. But outside of not going to war, which is... Round of applause. Yes. Um, outside of that, where Malik is. Big Papa. Where Malik is. Malik is at Mar-a-Lago. He was there to witness former President Donald Trump, number 45, officially submitting paperwork with the Federal Elections Com- Commission late Tuesday, filing the paperwork for his 2024 run. Trump's filing with the FEC came minutes before he addressed supporters at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Palm Beach, Florida, publicly declaring himself a candidate for POTUS 2024. We'll talk to Malik a little bit later. He was there, so we forgot all about him because... (laughs) We did. I swear I did. I swear I I did. I forgot. All right. More domestic news. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said on Tuesday he invoked invasion clauses. Totally different invasion. Totally different. Invasion clauses of the U.S. and Texas constitutions to address the record-breaking influx of illegal immigration on the U.S.-Mexico border under the Biden administration. Quote, I invoked the invasion clauses of the U.S. and Texas constitutions to fully authorize Texas to take unprecedented measures to defend our state against an invasion. Mr. Abbott wrote on Twitter. Where else? That's where... That's where all the official statements are made. And then staunch Trump supporter Carrie Lake over in Arizona has announced that she will contest the election results for the governorship after a razor-tight race against Democratic challenger Katie Hobbs. Ms. Lake has so far refused to concede the race and tweeted, quote, Arizonans know BS when they see it Monday night. She did not provide any evidence or context to that claim. Then the FBI, Christopher Wray, the director of the bureau, told the House Homeland Security Committee on Tuesday that China has stolen more data from American businesses and private persons than any other nation. One of the main security concerns that worries Mr. Wray is the social media app, TikTok. Yes, this echoes Marco Rubio's sentiments, which is owned by Beijing-based ByteDance and is subject to fall under China's 2017 national intelligence law that requires citizens and businesses to assist in intelligence gathering and to share collected intelligence. Quote, China's vast hacking program is the world's largest and they have stolen more Americans' personal and business data than every other nation combined, said Mr. Ray, who served as an assistant attorney general under former President George W. Bush. 
Then a U.S. federal judge vacated the use of Title 42, the border control policy used to deny entry to persons posing a health risk, calling the measure arbitrary and in violation of federal law. The court, quote, the court vacates and sets aside the Title 42 policy and all orders and decision memos issued by the CDC or the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services suspending the right to introduce certain persons into the United States, said U.S. District Judge Emmett Sullivan on Tuesday in his court order. Now, Sullivan called the Title 42 policy arbitrary, capricious, in violation of the Administrative Procedure Act, which governs the federal regulatory process. Then the DOD is $1.4 billion short in its current budgetary allocations of sufficient funding to complete its planned next order. The next batch of F-35 multi-purpose fighter jets from Lockheed Martin so that its eventual fleet will fall significantly short of the 375 aircraft currently expected. That was their goal, according to Bloomberg. Now, the shortfall was revealed in a new list of unfunded priorities sent to Congress. If the $1.4 billion is not additionally provided, so to clarify, they're asking for an additional $1.4 billion. They say if they don't get that, the anticipated new three-year contract worth up to $30 billion will go ahead, but it will purchase fewer aircraft for the expensive program whose total cost is now estimated at a whopping $412 billion. And that is cost overrun after cost overrun after cost overrun. That is not a part of the article. That is a Manila editorializing remark. Now, the U.S. House of Representatives Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has been nominated to become the next Speaker of the House, given that Republicans are projected to hold the majority in the lower chamber. House Republicans announcing this on Tuesday, quote, House Republicans have elected Kevin McCarthy as our nominee for Speaker of the 118th Congress. House Republicans tweeted, McCarthy clinched the nomination without issue with the move coming down to a vote of 188 to 31 in his favor, of course, during an internal conference and meeting. The lawmaker ultimately faced a last-minute challenger in the form of Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs. Then to international news, as we were talking about at the top, Joe Biden still in Bali. He informed the G7 and NATO that the projectile that killed two civilians in eastern Poland on Tuesday belonged to Ukrainian armed forces. That one gets a wah, wah, wah to the AP. Shame on the AP. Again. Shame, big shame. I used to really respect them, and the Trump era just really changed AP's reporting. Um, you know, I, I just hope they can turn the ship around before they follow in the path of CNN where nobody trusts them anymore. Then leaders of the G20 on Wednesday uh, said they approve a joint declaration in which they acknowledge that the conflict in Ukraine has exacerbated the existing problems of the world economy, but nevertheless express, expressed varying takes on the Ukraine crisis. One quote here, 
There were other views and different assessments of the situation and sanctions, recognizing that the G20 is not the forum to resolve security issues. We acknowledge that security issues can have significant consequences for the global economy. That's coming from the joint communique. Now, the very much alive Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on Tuesday said that there is, quote, no need to go deep, referring to the Ukraine issue. No need to go deep since this is not the business of the G20. He also pointed out that the West tried to make the final declaration of the G20 summit politicized and include condemnation of Moscow's actions. Then Africa's right to use its natural gas must be reflected in all the contracts and agreements made during the ongoing COP27 climate summit that's still going on in Egypt, argued uh, the president for the African Development Bank, Mr. Ekenwumi Adesina. Quote, Africa must have natural gas to to complement its renewable energy. Adesina pointed out earlier at the summit venue. Now, the minister emphasized that even if Africa triples its natural gas production, its contribution to emissions, he says, quote, would only rise by 0.67%. Then the Norwegian armed forces have signed a landmark agreement with the U.S. for the purchase of the AMRAAM-D air-to-air missiles in the tune of NOK 5 billion. Now, what is that? That is the Norwegian currency, N-O-K, Nok, 5 billion, which is actually 500 million U.S. dollars. The missiles will be mainly used to equip Norway's new fleet of F-35s that we just talked about earlier that are in cost overruns and they don't have enough money to build them. <laughs> so the wait list is probably going to be a while, Norway. Uh, not only is it the single largest procurement of arms for the Norwegian armed forces ever, The Ministry of Defense said the medium-range AMRAAM-D is expected to be the main weapon of the country's combat aircraft for decades to come. And this day in history, short, short this day in history, a very short. Back in 1776, British troops capture Fort Washington during the American Revolution. That, by the way, is in Maryland, right near... um, the Alexandria-Virginia border because the the waterway cuts it off, the river cuts it off. Uh, So real close. Uh, And then back in 1945, the founding of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. All right, that's going to do it for your headlines. This Wednesday, November the 16th, you are listening to Fault Line. All right, so let's do this. Let's take a break. We'll come back. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan. Back in a moment. Fault lines. Fault lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And yeah, the story that we need to talk about is the missile strike. Now, I've made this argument before that Russia is basically going to solve this on the battlefield, that the longer that a conflict goes on, the more that the side that is the winner of the conflict is going to want in reparations for the fact that the conflict took place 
at all. Now, you have a UN resolution that doesn't mean anything. It is not worth the paper it's written on. Basically, with the majority of the countries either abstaining or not voting at all, with the U.S. controlling various countries to basically say, we want to steal Russian territory in order to give over to Ukraine. There's that. You also have the situation where Russia is consolidating itself while its reserves of 300,000, if not more, come into the battlefield um, significantly altering the situation on the ground. Keep in mind, if you have a situation where a expedition force working with dumbass militias is able to take 20% of the territory, what does it mean when you have 300,000 or so coming into the battlefield zone? What you have is what is effectively a loss and a significant one. You have Jake Sullivan, who is trying to push Kiev to be open to negotiation because the rest of the world is not necessarily playing or buying into this. And on top of this, you have Russia still making roads or in-gains or inroads in the Donbass region, which was, again, the focal point of this conflict, not the nonsense that was taking place in Kiev in the way that the West told you about. You have all sorts of stories where the West says that Russia bombed its own pipeline. Again, doesn't make much sense. Russia was bombing a power plant that it basically held. Again, doesn't make much sense that um, Azov soldiers that were in captivity by Russian were bombed by those same Russians while they're in captivity by those same Russians. You had Snake Allen, you had the Ghost of Kiev, meaning one story after the next that came out of Western media was farcical. Didn't even make sense on his face. I was shocked that the person who was even recounting it could keep a straight face as they were recounting it. Even if you're not talking about this conflict, if you're talking about Syria, where you had chemical weapons, chemical weapons, and reporting coming out of Seymour Hersh made the point that those chemical weapons were being moved by terrorist organizations through Turkey in order to get to Syria. Why? Because Obama comes out and says, chemical weapons is a red line. And the terrorists who were backed by the U.S. full well understood that they were losing, considering Assad had taken back 90% of its territory working with Russia and Iran, and that the only way anything on the battlefield was going to change was if you could bring in Western forces. And since Obama used the term red line chemical weapons, the chemical weapons was the thing that was going to be used to try to either get the U.S. further involved in that conflict, which they were already involved in, or to change the situation that was on the ground. Even with the issues of the Gulf of Tonkin, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, all of these things were nonsense. All of these things were made in order to get a larger force into a battlefield in order to create a pretext for that force to get involved. Let's talk about Ukraine. Ukraine is losing this war. They've already lost all of that territory. Even Mali, Mili, comes out and basically says, hey, maybe we should negotiate now because there is no way for Ukraine to make any additional progress in these offensives. None of these offensives were basically a one-on-one -on -one battle in which Ukraine took those troops either in Kharkov, Russia, was moving out and repositioning forces where Ukraine was basically able to take the territory, or in Kherson, where Russia just gave voluntarily the territory up. None of these things were this victorious battle in which Ukrainian forces were trying. That didn't happen. That won't happen. The point that I'm making here is if Ukraine is going to lose this on the battlefield, and if the West full well understands that not only did they lose a real war, but they also lost an economic war, then what happens? If indeed they look at this as existential from the standpoint of Western hegemony, then what are they willing to do in order to win this conflict, especially if they consider this conflict from the standpoint of Western hegemony existential? Now, when you try to create a pretext to get further involved in the war, 
And if you realize that the team that you basically backed is losing miserably, has no potential in order to make any additional gains, and that all things but equal, you're basically pushing for diplomacy. And the other side, meaning from the Russian standpoint, they're not pushing for diplomacy in the sense of, okay, we are going to allow you to give us some nonsense um, provisions for us to basically end. That's not happening that way. This is most likely going to end on the battlefield when negotiations are going to come in after the fact at the point where it is clear as day that Ukraine is basically <laughs> went bust. While Zelensky was given a 20-minute speech that I suppose most people were checking their cell phone as he was running his mouth about, Russia was opening up a can of whip-ass all across Ukraine, particularly on the issue of Kiev, decimating the energy structure, where these guys are basically what? I think it was 50% loss of energy in the country itself over the course that was like a week or two ago. And I would imagine after yesterday, it was that much worse. And at this point, Zelensky is even owned up to the fact that those missile strikes have been decimating. While those missile strikes were taking place, two missiles apparently land in Poland, killing two Polish people, civilians. The immediate response was, Russia has attacked Poland. We need to get Article 5. Of course, Zelensky immediately comes out, always a day late and a dollar short and getting it wrong um, in doing so, screams, Russia has attacked Poland. The AP comes out reporting a Russian missile has attacked Poland. And even when they update that to make the point of saying, oh, our bad, this was a Ukrainian missile that hit, they still try to make the argument that it might have been Ukraine that fired the missile, but it was a Russian missile. As if that actually matters. Yes, Ukraine's territory has missiles and armaments from the Soviet era. That has nothing to do with the fact that it was Ukraine that fired that missile. Right here, Poland said on Wednesday that a Russian-made missile fell in the country's east, killing two people, though President Joe Biden said it was unlikely fired from Russia. Why does it matter that it was a Russian missile? And why is that the first line in your reporting on that? Joe Biden basically comes out and makes a point of saying, right here, quote, there's preliminary information that contradicts that, Biden answered. I don't want to say until we completely investigate, but it is unlikely in the minds, in the trajectory that it was fired from Russia, but we'll see. The reporting on that got more crystallized, but they were making a point of saying, okay, fair enough. This was most likely a Ukrainian missile right here. Quote, most likely a missile made by Russia in the 1970s has fallen in Polish territory. We have no evidence that it was launched by Russia, unquote, due to told reporters. This is the president of Poland. Quote, there is high probability that it was a Ukrainian air defense missile. He added, due to said that it was an unfortunate accident. Now it's an unfortunate accident. Initially, it was war. It was war. Russia has basically declared war on Ukraine by firing a missile at Ukraine. He suggested that the missile had struck Poland when Ukrainian forces were trying to intercept Russian air attacks. Quote, Ukraine was defending itself, which is obvious and understandable, by firing those missiles whose task was to destroy Russian missiles in midair due to said. Therefore, the Russian side is definitely to blame for yesterday's incident. So you couldn't necessarily say that it was Russia's fault for firing a missile because at that point, it's not a Russian Missile, meaning it wasn't something that Russia basically fired. It was something Ukraine fired. So now you're trying to blame them because Ukraine was defending itself against an unmitigated or an astonishing barrage of missile strikes that were basically taking place in Russia. For one, your missile defense systems suck. There's that. On the other side of it, we are whistling past the graveyard. The issue here is not whether or not Russia fired the missile into Ukraine. The issue here is that the West has had a complete 
an utter propensity to lie, to basically come up with narratives and stories that were not indicative of reality, even when the reality was clear as day. No, Russia didn't bomb his own silos. No, Russia didn't bomb Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. No, Russia didn't bomb his own um, prison facilities where those Nazis were being held. And in the same breath, no, it wasn't a Russian attack on Poland yesterday. In the words of Sean Blackman on Biden's necessary, we are whistling past the graveyard. It wouldn't matter if it was a Russian missile, if all of these countries, just like with every other um, situation that came up, just basically lied and just basically ran with the narrative. And there are certain elements in this, Zelensky being one of them, Poland being another, that will have no issue getting further ensconced into this conflict in Ukraine. It's looking for any potential opportunity to get involved in the issue of Ukraine since they full well get, realize, understand as clear as day, regardless of what they would admit to the media, that Ukraine is not just losing, but is effectively lost. That's the issue. We are whistling past the graveyard. I keep asking this question of what does NATO do? How far are they willing to go in order to prevent Ukraine from basically going belly up? Meaning if you get to a situation where Russia is continuing to make inroads, where it's clear as day that Ukraine is effectively lost and has no potential to make any additional gains, where Russia is continuing to potentially take Odessa, regain the territory that it basically gave up, then what does NATO do? Are they going to be willing to accept the fact that they effectively lost? And this notion of hegemonic power and control has basically been broken in Ukraine. I don't have an answer for that. And that is terrifying. In the way, like I said, whistling past the graveyard is a great example of that. And do you honestly believe that all of these guys jumped onto a particular narrative, that they wouldn't follow the narrative through, whether or not the narrative was true or false, if it allowed them to get further in Ukraine and they consider that war loss, especially if they look at the implications of that loss as being utterly disastrous from the notion of a power that they've basically been able to operate for the last 50 years. All I'm pointing out here is this could have went dramatically bad if this narrative ran or if they ran with this particular narrative. And there's no way to know whether or not they would have ran with this looking at the reporting from last night. Be aware. Be aware. That's all I'm saying. Follow and pay attention to what your government is doing because your government could get you involved in something that could be the end of the world. And this could have been the start. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas with Vanilla Chan. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM at 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Definitely don't be shy. But let's get to our guests. We're joined with Editor-in-Chief at Radio Sputnik, Mendia Gavashelli. Mendia, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing this morning? It's rather night here, but I'm doing well, thank you. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Right, opposite side of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So let me, let's get into the communique for a moment. 
So what did they end up going from the standpoint of the communicate that these guys were coming out with? You were saying that they were coming out with a group thing. Again, this was based on the diplomacy um, by the president of Indonesia. So what did they eventually come up with as a joint communique? Well, they came up with exactly what we expected, to agree to disagree. In the communique, they wrote that some countries decisively oppose and demand an immediate troop withdrawal from uh, Ukraine, uh, while other countries refuse to join in, in in this condemnation of Russia, and rather are urging that they have a different opinion on this. But at the same time, they wrote in the communique that G20 is not a platform where normally these issues would be resolved. So that was a compromise, a clear compromise. And I think we should thank the Indonesian presidency for the fact that we have a final communique at all. Yeah, because all things being equal, these guys were in full disagreement on that particular communique. I'm curious, from the standpoint of the people who, let's say, pulled away from that or didn't necessarily agree with it, what were the countries that didn't agree with the communique? China, India, Brazil, I think Saudi Arabia. So I don't have the full list in front of me, so I, I, I don't want to mislead you. But yeah, I, I know that China, India, Brazil, Saudi Arabia definitely were on that list. So basically, those are the biggest countries, if you take a look at the countries who are a part of G20. Saudi Arabia? Those Turncoats. <laughs> Those turncoats. How dare they? Was that, I mean, is that surprising to you that Saudi Arabia is on that list? I mean, Saudi Arabia is supposed to be allied to the United States. They're one of the countries that's backing up this notion of the dollar's hegemony around the globe. And yeah, now they're trying to join BRICS. Well, they are, but still, I mean, I, I, I don't know. But look, you have, like, for example, in the UN um, resolution, the majority of the countries either didn't participate in the resolution or abstain from the resolution, where you had, I think it was like 90, but the majority of the countries didn't necessarily get involved. Okay, that's one thing where they're like, okay, I'm not going to be entirely involved in this. But many of the countries abstained because they didn't necessarily want to take one side or the other. Well, this is pretty specifically taking a tenor or taking a side, right? I mean, I, I could be wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think you are wrong, but at the same time, it was written in the way that allows those countries to say that we basically want to stay neutral. Okay. We have a different opinion of, you know, on the issue. So again, everyone understands that G20 is not the platform that is going to solve this crisis. Everyone knows that. So, you know, it's not surprising that many countries didn't want to get engaged. And to answer your question, no, I wasn't surprised that Saudi Arabia was on that list because, as Manila mentioned, not only Saudi Arabia is trying to join BRICS, I think they are also interested in joining the Shanghai Corporation Agreement. And if you remember the latest move, they were the ones who agreed to cut oil production by 2 million barrels a day, something that was coordinated with OPEC plus countries, including Russia. Yeah, the Russians said 1 million. You know, it doesn't... And then MBS chimed in and was like, "Mm, we can do better. We can do better. Let's do... Let's double. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Mindy, let me ask you this. When the news broke of this alleged Russian missile... The attack on Poland. 
Like it was, the, <laughs> right. it was, you know, middle of the afternoon for us here, therefore middle of the night for you. You were probably sleeping. Everyone in Indonesia at the, the G20 was sleeping. Did the hotel wake up? Did, I mean, did AP run around with their their hair on fire reporting their second, their back-to-back second, you know, fake news story? You know, the first one about Sergey Lavrov being hospitalized or dead or whatever they were saying, fake news. And then they immediately reported that Russia attacked Poland. Did everybody wake up at the G20? Certainly not me, because yes, <laughs> last night was the first night when I actually got five hours of sleep. <laughs> Before that, I was sleeping two hours a night at best. So no, I was asleep last night, but I know who got w- woken up. It was Joe Biden. And there's even a photo of Joe Biden sitting in his hotel room with Jake Sullivan, his national security advisor, and Anthony Blinken, his secretary of state. And they are together in the room, I think, either on the call or working with some documents. So I believe he was woken up at like 3 a.m. or something. So he had a pretty rough night. I have to say. Yeah, I could imagine. Uh, see, I mean, senior citizens that age, they get up around three o'clock because that's they have dinner at four. Right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, he got woken up. Apparently they had the got with his allies. Um, initially, um, you had Zelensky screaming that Russia attacked Poland. And of course, that they need to get further involved. And so, yeah, it was it was it was rather insane. But eventually Biden came on basically said, we don't believe that this came from Russia attacked. But like you were making the point, the AP all of them kept saying Russian missile. Though. Russia did well. There's even now. Is it Russian even missile? Even now, they're still identifying it as a Russian missile, even though the launch is at this point Ukraine confirmed that it that it came from Ukraine, but now it's a friendly missile killing two civilians next door, right at you know four miles into the border of Poland. But you know it's friendly missiles. It's okay now. But no one no one seems to be acknowledging that part and they're saying they're still framing it here in the U.S. as Russian missiles. Yeah. Russian, Russian made missiles. This is, I knew as soon as, you know, the, the photo came up that was like an S-300. Right. This is a Soviet era yes. missile. Yes. 1970s. In the 1990s. Well, this, this is 1970s. This one was at least 1990s, I, I would venture to say. Yes. Lath is shaking his head. Okay. Uh, but it was Russian made. Sure. But there's, Russia sells arms to a lot of places. There's, I mean, but no, the the media is still running with that narrative. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as a young journalist, actually, one of the big stories that I was working on, I believe it was in 2001, if I'm not mistaken, was a story about a Russian airliner that was shot down over the Black Sea. And as we found out later on, it was shut down by Ukrainian S-300 missile because the Ukrainian army was conducting drills at the time, and accidentally they hit that aircraft and killed something like 200 people on board or something like that. It was going from Israel to Siberia. And it was mostly Israeli citizens who were killed instantly back at the time. So, you know, I thought about that immediately when I saw those reports. My first thought was like, oh, 
is it the repeat of that story again? Well, it appears that yes, it is a yes. repeat of that story. Luckily, the magnitude of tragedy isn't on the same scale. It's tragic that two people died in Poland, obviously. But uh, back at the time, it was 200, so you can see the difference. But at this point, Mindia, has anybody, have you seen or heard people, you know, in the, the press area talking about this story? Because I'm sure this had to have come up at some point, right? Did officials talk about it? Did the press talk about it? Of course, of course. It was the main story throughout the day. And the entire schedule of G20 had to be changed because President Biden, instead of just, you know, attending a G20 summit, he called immediately a mini G7 summit. So the leaders of G7 gathered separately, despite the fact that they were supposed to participate in G20 activities. They gathered separately and they were discussing what to do. And after that meeting, it became more or less clear that even the U.S. admits that it was a Ukrainian missile because President, uh, because NATO members also were consulted on this issue. And uh, one of the first people, I mean, Biden himself first, like, came to the press and said that I don't want to speculate, but right now there are strong indications that it could have been a Ukrainian missile. And then President Erdogan basically said that Biden told us that it was a Ukrainian missile and that, you know, they have the data confirming it. Well, even Duda. So then, by now, even Duda. But back at the time, Duda was urging cautious and saying that we are going to investigate it and we are getting help from the Americans. Yeah. So, you know... It wasn't clear, but after that meeting, it basically became clear that there is data confirming that it was a Ukrainian missile. Well, at this point, Duda comes out and basically right here, I guess initially I had it up, right here. He says, most quote, most likely a missile made by Russia in the 1970s has fallen on the Polish territory. We have no evidence that it was launched by Russia. He told reporters there's high probability that Ukrainian air defenses he added. And now that it's Ukraine, called it an unfortunate Right. Accident. It's an unfortunate accident. Unfortunate accident. But, but why is nobody condemning Volodymyr Zelensky, who immediately went on the media attack yeah. to call on NATO get to involved. get involved? Come on, everybody. Look, look, look. Russia bombed one of your countries. Yep. Is anybody going to, you know, start to not. reconsider, reconsider the words that come out of this man's mouth? And number two, I mean... Effectively, this is Ukraine bombing a NATO country accident or or not. Yeah. It's still the same. The same result is it is what it is. A, a Ukrainian fired missile killed Polish citizens. <laughs> Are NATO countries going to activate uh, Article 5 or can they at least reconsider Hmm. Do we want Ukraine in our block? Manila wants an attack on Ukraine. <laughs> Article 5. Uh, Mindy, what's your take? No, if you re- read the statement by President Duda that you were referring to, he nevertheless blames Russia for the incident, saying that uh, regardless of who fired that missile, it was caused by the fact that Russia was hitting 
Ukrainian targets at the time and uh, launching more than 100 missiles. And uh, he blamed Russia regardless of who launched the actual missile that fell in Poland. Calling it an unfortunate mistake. It's an unfortunate mistake when Ukraine do it. Um, I want to get back to G20 for a moment. And especially this kind of world visions that were being, let's say, enunciated by China and by the United States. Xi Jinping um, in this was one of his statements. He says, quote, drawing ideological lines or promoting group politics and block confrontation will only divide the world and hinder global development and human progress, he told people in the opening session. Um, and, of course, Biden, just like he did at the Summit of Americas, basically was saying we're going to give all of this money to these various groups and everything else. And the idea, I guess, being to confront what he knows is BRICS, or for that matter, um, the Belt and Road Initiative that basically China's putting out. It's almost like they're trying to put two competing views of the world. Did you feel that there, this kind of push and pull between these two large economies? You know, it was more evident on the Ukraine issue rather than any other issue. So the Ukraine, even though it wasn't supposed to be on the agenda per se, as we were discussing yesterday, uh, there was this like dark cloud in over the G20 summit at all times. So, of course, it was evident that there is a divide, a serious divide between two groups of countries, right? On the one hand, it's the US, the UK, the EU, and on the other hand, many developing countries and Russia, China, India. So Ukraine became an indicator of who stands where in many ways, and not just when it was, you know, related directly to the crisis, but when it was related to many other issues just as well. So, yeah, you could feel the divide. That's for sure. I'm curious, what do you take from this? Just after being there, seeing all of the speeches, seeing the communique at the very end of it, is there anything that you personally take from it that's interesting, that's confusing, that's fascinating? Like, what is your impression of just being on the ground during this entire conference? Jamal, you know how skeptical I am about world leaders gatherings. We've we've been covering with you a couple of them. So, you know, it only makes my skepticism even stronger. I hope that there are some things that, you know, will produce concrete results. Hopefully the agreements that were signed here will help developing countries and will help to fight climate change, will help to make our planet cleaner and more efficient. But honestly, this could have been done on a bilateral basis as well. And while I'm happy that I had a chance to come here and see Indonesia, it is a wonderful country. It is uh, people here are absolutely amazing, uh, but I don't know if all this money spent on those meetings, you know, well spent. Uh, that's, that's, I don't know. I, I'm doubtful. Okay. Wow. Yeah, fair enough. I, I know how you felt about, look, I was more hopeful at the um, Biden-Putin summit, and especially when it sounded as if Biden and Putin were basically saying similar things. And my hope was that, okay. These guys are at the very least competent that the world is at stake. Um, I don't feel that way now. And you were far more right um, with your with your skepticism um, than I was on that, especially given a year later that this is kind of where we ended up. Um, some of the statements that were basically coming out, though, like you said, there was co- partial con- condemnation of the war. It says, quote, we agree that the war has a negative impact on the global economy and that the global economic recovery will also not be achieved without any peace. 
Um, they were making the point of saying that this was the most debated paragraph, meaning the, oh, the issue of the war um, that was taking place at the G20 summit itself. Were there any other contentious parts of the statement that came out from the communique? Or was it just the issue of Ukraine was the biggest issue that they were basically debating? The other stuff was basically just kind of old hand. It was the biggest issue. Obviously, there were other contentious points, but they are normally being worked out at working groups and with experts. So we, as a, as public, we don't see those differences because they they are kept under the wrap. I see. Right. But this issue clearly was very public, very in your face, and both sides were openly speaking about that. So that's why it became such a talking point. Mindy, um, so Trump made his announcement. We were joking earlier that we forgot about poor Malik last night because of this this missile strike. And poor Malik was there. I forgot to text him. I forgot to ask, like, hey, do you have sound bites? So Malik's down in Mar-a-Lago, for those who don't know. Malik is covering the, the Trump event last night. We forgot about poor Malik. We're going to have him on the show later. But that means you guys down in Bali, woke up to the news, the confirmation that Donald Trump is officially in the 2024 race. Are people talking about that at the G20? Uh, You underestimate the time difference. We weren't even in bed when we got a confirmation that Trump is running again. So it was late night, but yeah, everyone was up. You know, Biden was asked about that today. He was asked whether or not he has any comment on that, and he basically turned to the journalist who asked it and said, uh, no. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> that was his reaction. But, <laughs> but I know that the White House uh, is already working on the strategy how to confront Trump. So, yeah, buckle up. Yeah, Biden hasn't confirmed that. He, the people asked him, uh-huh. um, and he has not confirmed. And I got to wonder what the other world leaders at the G20 thinking. are thinking if they've already, now they're like, oh, Donald Trump is in, and they all look at Biden. <laughs> Especially if they're ascertaining Trump's chances as valid. Meaning, if they think that Trump has the potential to win, which right. I would imagine all of these guys have to know that at this point. What are they right, thinking? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's got to be a weird feeling in the room when the former, you know, President 45 is saying, I'm in. Yeah. And then current President 46 is sitting there I don't know, twiddling his thumbs, looking around at the clouds or something. People are like, okay, Biden, are you going to throw your hat in? Are you going to say something? He won't confirm. I mean, that's got to be weird. It has to be weird. I mean, you're talking to the guy who may be the next former president right? at this point. And you have, meaning, you know that's a weak president that's there Dead talking to you. walking by so many definitions of that. Oh, that is grim. That is grim. All the definitions. Um, Mindy, there's a joint declaration by Modi that's added to this that I'm fascinated by. He says, quote, today's era must era must not be of war. Now, Modi has said this before, but they're taking this as somewhat of an attempt or a hit at Russia. But this sounds like more of a hit at the United States. I mean, if you think about the Iraq war, if you think about Vietnam, um, if you think about Afghanistan, if you think about Syria, the United States has basically used military power or hybrid war in order to shape the events around the world. Um, I, I, I don't see how this is entirely directed at Russia on this. Basically, the world has gotten to the point where war can't be the thing that's used in order to shape the world politics. And if we're talking about the country that is used at the most, that is easily false on the U.S. Give me your take on that. I mean, how do you view that statement? 
I think he de- deliberately made it vague, mm-hmm. so which tells you uh, what game he's playing. So you know, you may think that he's referring to Russia if you want to, or you may think that he's referring to the U.S. if you want to. So that's the game that the Indian leader is trying to play. He's trying to stay somewhere in the middle and at the same time maintain good relations with both Russia and the U.S. And I have to say he's successful at that. Yeah. I mean, is that – do you interpret that most of the world is there? I mean, like I said, at the U.N., um, where they basically – said, we are going to be okay with stealing Russian territory, I mean, Russian um, um, it, um, resources, in order to provide reparations for Ukraine. Now, of course, this is no legitimacy from a legal standpoint. And this was pointed out by the Russian delegation. This is no legitimacy at all. You guys are just trying to um, fig leaf this idea of stealing Russian um, items. I mean, but most of the nations didn't agree to that. Like, meaning you had, I think it was like 70-something abstentions. You had 11 people who didn't necessarily get involved. Basically, the majority stayed on the sidelines. Do you get the feel that that's where much of the world is? And for that matter, do you even get the feel that much of the G20 is there in that particular, this kind of dancing between the raindrops where we don't necessarily want to antagonize either. We want to stay on good terms with both. And so they try to be somewhat vague in their positioning or their political positioning on this. Sure, the answer is yes. The longer answer is Everyone's watching what's in the best interest, and they will make their position more clear depending on, you know, what's more beneficial. So we shouldn't expect that, you know, most of the countries will immediately take sides. They will rather see, like, wait, what happens next, and if they see an opportunity, they will definitely do whatever is in their best interest. Listen, Saudi Arabia is a perfect example of that, right? Saudi Arabia is actually buying Russian oil, increasingly buying Russian oil, while, again, increasing and using it domestically while selling its own oil abroad. Turkey is benefiting from both sides. On the one hand, they are selling weapons to Ukraine. On the other hand, they are sponsoring the grain deal, uh, which allows Ukraine to and Russia to sell their wheat. So, you know, this is how a lot of countries position themselves. They, India, same thing. India hasn't been buying, hadn't been buying Russian oil, and now it is buying Russian oil in big quantities. So, you know, everyone's watching after their own interests. I'm curious, going back to Manila's question for a bit, what effect do you think Trump's election, meaning, I, I, I think she's right. I mean, all things being equal, Biden is a weak president. I mean, his approval rate, what, 40%? Under 40? Yeah. yeah, hovering. At, at this point, I mean, they have to realize that Biden, whatever Biden says in regards to some kind of rules, regulations, or ideas that he's putting out can be overturned within a couple of years. They have to know that. That has, I mean, has that come up in any of the conversations that have, I guess, been aired? I mean, I know they asked questions or Biden a question. He didn't necessarily want to engage on that. But has any of the other world leaders been asked on this idea of a potential Trump presidency again? You know that Trump has never been a favorite of foreign leaders. No, he is not. <laughs> it was no, hard to deal with him. <laughs> it was hard to deal with him. So, no, 
no one would say anything publicly, obviously. But again, you are forgetting that first he has to win the primary. Agreed. And it's not a done deal. It's not a done deal. So uh, what's interesting that the sun, like, you know, that foreign media mostly hated Trump, too. So I watched some reports from foreign journalists uh, from the U.S. um, on the Trump announcement. And all of a sudden, DeSantis became foreign media's favorite because they think he's the guy who is going to stop Trump. And this is very, very unlikely. This is a very unlikely hero for them because DeSantis is super conservative. Right. And the media is mostly liberal. So seeing them hailing DeSantis is quite shocking. But nevertheless, it just tells you how much they hate Trump. Anybody but Trump. <laughs> Anybody but Trump. Uh, Mindia, thank you for this. Mindia Gavishelli, editor-in-chief at Sputnik News. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Yeah, I can imagine that Bali is gorgeous. I know. I've never been. You know Tony Robbins, the oh, yeah. the, the life coach? Right, right. I love he, that. I love that. I'm, I'm a life coach. It's like, what? What? <laughs> I love that. You you could make a career? Yeah, yeah. A very healthy career. Yes. Tony Robbins. It's like, I can make you feel good for a living. Tony Robbins owns an island in Bali. No way. Yep. Life coaching pays that well? We're yeah, in the wrong yes. career. That Tony Robbins, and he says a lot of good stuff. I personally, I oh, like I'm, I'm joking it. I like him and, very much. And look, if you're having a rough life, and somebody can basically guide you, yeah. he's like a professional world guidance counselor. Yeah, yeah, sort of like career coach, guidance guidance counselor. It's like make me feel good, Tony. And Tell I'm me make I can you feel do good. it. Yeah. Tell me I can do it, <laughs> All right. Tony. And he's made a bajillion dollars from this, enough that he owns one of those islands. What an island in Bali, and it has. I guess it, it might have, I'm not sure, don't quote me on this, but I, I it had a resort on it. I don't uh-huh. know if he built it, but nonetheless, it's a resort. Does he have to pay for his own police force? So he, no, I mean, he's not, it's not a sovereign island. It's just, he bought the resort uh-huh. and oh, effectively the piece of land that is an island. Okay. So, it's, you know, when you buy property here, you buy a ranch, right? right. You own the land. You still have cops and everything else, right. but you just own so the land. So it's still okay. part of the Indonesian jurisdiction, except that he, it's an island yeah. because it's a chain of islands. So the land that he bought happened to be an island, wow. and it had a, a full-scale, like, Bali resort with one of those, with not one, I think there are several, like, uh, those, like, huts yeah. out in the water. It's like you walk outside in yeah. the water. It's right there. Right. It's like huts, like, built on stilts in the middle of the water. Get up and, in the morning and just go for a swim. Yeah. Just take two steps and just jump into the water. This dude, I was like, wow. And so for the super rich that he coaches. Yeah. They get invited to his, his island. His island in Bali. I get you would feel good if you're sitting in Bali and he's telling you at Tony Robbins' private resort. Yeah, 
and he's co- doing your life coaching. Then you'd go do your yoga, and then you do your steam meditation. Like, I feel great. I bet you do. I bet you do. But <laughs> that means you you're rich already to be able to go yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, there's that. So it's like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to his personal resort. But then, yeah, but my whole point is Tony Robbins got into the game probably 35, 40 years ago. And he's he's not, he's from, not far from where I grew up. He's from Azusa, California. Yeah. Um, which is San Gabriel Valley. Same same general region that I'm from. Yeah. I'm not doing quite as well as Tony Robbins. No. You don't have your own Alan in Bali. Oh my goodness. That's that all I think amazing. of. I'm like, I'd like to go to Bali. <laughs> 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 I would like to own an island in Bali. I just like to go. I don't even know you to own yeah, an island. I, I just want to go. Yeah. But I'd like to at least go to one of those huts yeah. in the middle of the water. Those things look so good. It looks so beautiful. I mean, it's like you walk out in the water just it's right like there. It's like a dream. Yeah. It's literally like a dream. I mean, just just a week. Good on you, Tony. Just no no electronics. Just just be out in the water. Yeah. Crystal clear, like turquoise blue water. Oh, wow. Mm. All right, coming from a 30-degree... Right, well, we're freezing. I'm like... <laughs> Watched it. It's like, look, there was one time I was in the hospital. They weren't allowing me to eat for 40 days. What? Wait, what? Well, it was in the time in the hospital. They and don't let you eat? Yeah. I, I, it was something that was going on where they wouldn't allow food to go in, so they started using, like, lipids and stuff like that. They would give you stuff to do, I think. Oh, like, like, after liquid. two weeks... Oh, I see, I after see. After two weeks, they were like, all right, look, we can't just let you go without food. We're going to have to give you stuff, I think. I used to watch cooking channels on that day and just used to sit there and be like... God, that steak looks so good. Or God, that food place looks so good. Like meaning you lust after it when you don't necessarily have it. Same thing with Bali. It's like you're sitting at 30 degree weather. It's freezing as you walk into the office. And Minnie is like, yeah, it's in the 80s here. Like I'm in flip flops. Good for you. Like, <laughs> Good oh yeah, for you. India? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. But no, that's great though. And and all things Vico, I love it when people are on the ground at those political events. I think those things yeah. are great. I would love to be a fly on the wall there right now. With given the two things that happened last yes. night. Like, yes. Is there hair on fire about the the fake missile? Yes. Well, I mean, it was a real missile, well, but fake I, Russian. I think Peskov called them hysterical. Yes, I'd like to hear what they were saying about that, and I'd love to hear. Um, how they responded when people are like, oh, Trump's back. Yeah. Oh, he's back. Because, you know, the interesting thing about the world, and I'll get to the headlines, but I am very curious on whether those conversations boil down to where do we want to go with this? I know. Meaning, do we want to use this as a reason where all of us get on the exact same page or do we want to pull back from the brink? Well, I am they, very curious. They need a contingency plan for both things. Yes. Uh, for the stuff in Ukraine uh-huh. as well as Trump. a return of Trump. They need a plan B for both items. I don't think any of them had to testicular girth to bring that up to Biden in those meetings. Why wouldn't you, though? He's like this wispy old man that's like weekend at Bernie's. He is. But I get the, yeah, I get the feeling that might just, yeah, Weekend at Biden. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but let's get the headlines. In the news, former U.S. President Donald Trump officially submitted paperwork with the Federal Election Commission late Tuesday, formally filing paperwork for his 2024 presidential campaign. Malik is on the ground there. We're going to go to him later today. Trump's valley with the FEC came minutes before he addressed the supporters at his Mar-a-Lago residence in Palm Beach, Florida, and publicly declared himself as candidate for the 2024 presidential election. Hello. Get your popcorn. Texas uh, Governor Greg Ab- Abbott said on Tuesday he invoked invasion clauses of the United States and Texas Constitution to address the record-breaking influx of illegal immigrants um, from the United States-Mexico border under the Biden administration. Quote, I invoke 
The invasion clauses of the United States and Texas constitutions to fully authorize Texas to take unprecedented measures to defend our state against an invasion, unquote. Abbott wrote on Twitter, an invasion. These people are invading Texas. Okay. Staunch supporter, um, uh, Trump, staunch Trump supporter, Carrie Lake has announced that she would contest the election results for the governorship after a close race against Democratic challenger Katie Hobbs. Lake also refused to concede the race and tweeted, quote, Arizonans know the BS when they see it unquote, on Monday night. She did not provide evidence or context for the claim. Of course she didn't. Um, let's keep going. Christopher Ray, the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigations, told the House Homeland Security Committee on Tuesday that China has stolen more data from American businesses and private persons than any other nation. <laughs> okay. One of the main security concerns that worries Ray is the social media app TikTok, which is owned by the Beijing-based ByteDance and is subject to fall under China's 2017 national intelligence law that requires citizens and businesses to assist in intelligence gathering and to share collected intelligence. Quote, China's vast hacking program is the world largest and has stolen more American personal and business data than every other nation combined. Unquote, says Ray, who served as assistant general, attorney general under former President George W. Bush. Okay. Let's keep going. A U.S. federal judge vacated use of the Title 42 border control policy used to deny entry to persons posing a health risk, calling the measure arbitrary and in violation of the federal law. Quote, the court vacates and sets aside the Title 42 policy and all orders and decisions, memos issued by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention or the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services suspending the right to introduce certain persons into the United States, unquote. U.S. District Judge Emmett Sullivan said on Tuesday in a court order, Sullivan called Title 42 policy arbitrary and capricious in violation of the Administration Procedures Act, which governs the federal regulatory process. Interesting, super interesting. So what does that mean? That Biden can no longer skate the line and dance between the raindrops on Title 42 where he's yelling at it while simultaneously using it to stem the tide of migrants coming into the country. Well, we had on um, Susan Pye, who basically was explaining to us that even though the Biden administration vilified Title 42, attacked 42 verbally, he was basically using Title 42 in order to try to deal with the migrants that were coming into the country because we had so many basically at the border. I guess the question is, now that he can't necessarily use this, now what? Meaning, if he was using this to try to cut down on the number of people who were coming into the country, now that this is no longer a provision that he could basically, let's say, manipulate, now what? Super interesting. We have to get Susan Powell on to talk about that. Let's keep going. The Defense Department is $1.4 billion short in its current budgetary allocations of sufficient funding to complete its planned next order of F-35 multi-purpose fighter jet from Lockheed Martin, so its eventual fleet will fall significantly short of the 375 aircrafts currently expected, Bloomberg has reported. The shortfall was revealed in a new list of unfunded priorities sent to Congress, the report said on Tuesday. If the $1.4 billion is not additionally provided, the anticipated new three-year contract worth up to $30 billion will go ahead, but it will purchase fewer aircraft for the expensive program, which total in its cost $412 billion, the report said $412 billion. When they were talking about eliminating student loans, what was that? $400 billion? And you're spending that much on an airplane with all sorts of costs, overruns, and everything else? When we're talking about spending a trillion dollars on that military each year, I still think that that number is given out almost as a way of pushing out, meaning we see other countries have, let's say, military parades 
where they have all these weapons going down the street. They have their troops doing their stepping and everything else. How is this any different? If you're telling people that you're spending a trillion dollars on your military, how is that not basically equivalent to you doing this kind of military parade showing off your capabilities? And as I point out again, with the number of cost overruns, the amount of manipulation in regards to the cost, the amount that corporations basically charge that are more than what they basically need to charge, it is hard to know what that one trillion dollars is equivalent to in real world physical matter military terms. Meaning it's hard to evaluate how effective that one trillion dollars is in regards to military force with cost overruns and with the amount of money that these companies charge where they're basically getting, let's say, money for stuff that they may not necessarily be given in real terms the products for. $412 billion is appalling that we're spending that much on money in that aircraft. And yet, when it comes to, you know, ensuring that the kids of this particular country can get an education without necessarily getting raked over the coals um, with a company having his money in his pocket, charging an 18-year-old, 21-year-old, $30,000 or $40,000 before they even get into their life. But this, no issue. $400 billion, sure. We don't want to spend it on our kids, but we're willing to spend it on military equipment. That is appalling. And if you want to talk about an issue of values, what does that mean? Let's keep going. The U.S. House of Representatives Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has been nominated to be Speaker of the next term of Congress, given the Republicans have rejected the hold the majority in the lower Congress congressional chamber, House Republicans announced on Tuesday. Quote, House Republicans have elected Kevin McCarthy as our nominee for Speaker of the 118th Congress. Unquote, House Republicans said, where else? On Twitter. Uh, McCarthy clinched the nomination without issue, with the moving coming down to 188 to 31 vote in favor of, of his during an internal conference meeting. The lawmaker ultimately faced the last minute challenge from Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona. Let's keep going. In international news, U.S. President Joe Biden informed the G7 and NATO that the projectile that killed two people in eastern Poland on Tuesday evening belonged to Ukrainian air forces. Ukraine attacked Poland. Ukraine has attacked Poland. Activate Article 5 immediately. Ukraine must be attacked by the NATO countries. Leader of G20 stated on Wednesday that they approved the joint declaration in which they acknowledge that the conflict in Ukraine has exacerbated the existing problems of the world economy, but nevertheless expressed varying takes on the Ukraine crisis. Quote, there were other views and different assessments of the situation and sanctions, recognizing that the G20 is not the forum to resolve security issues. We acknowledge that security issues can have significant consequences for the global economy. Unquote. The joint communique adopted on Wednesday read, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on Tuesday said that, quote, there is no need to go deep into the Ukraine issue since this is not the business of the G20, unquote. He also pointed out that the West tried to make the final declaration of the G20 summit politicized and include condemnation of Moscow's actions. Let's keep going. Africa's right to use its natural gas must be reflected in all contracts and agreements made during the ongoing COP27 climate summit, argued uh, Akinwumi. Adesina, the African bank president, quote, Africa must have natural gas to complement its renewable energy, unquote. Adesina pointed out um, earlier at the same summit venue. The minister emphasized that even if Africa triples its natural gas production, its contribution to emissions, quote, would only rise by 0.67%, unquote. Here's the thing. The West has been able to advantage itself off of issues of coal, natural gas, um, uh, fracking, etc., and in doing so, exacerbated the climate issue that we're basically dealing with. It is somewhat, if you were, let's say, a developing economy, you will look a bit grim 
on this idea that you can't use your own natural resources in a way that the West was able to basically actualize its own resources to the detriment of the rest of the planet. You would also, if you were in some of these countries, let's say in like Haiti or Dominican Republic or Cuba or some of these countries that are um, in the waters, you would also be bothered by, let's say, the weather and increasingly worsening weather and the effect that that basically has on your particular country. Look, if the West is in a situation where it wants these countries to not use or exploit those resources, then you may have to end up paying those countries not to exploit those resources. I mean, you've been able to advantage yourself over something that you don't want those countries to advantage themselves off of. And maybe if we're looking at this as a world country or as a world economy, maybe you need to pay in order to get these countries not to be able to do that. Let's keep going. The Norwegian Armed Forces have signed a landmark agreement with the United States to purchase a, I guess it's AMRAM-D air-to-air missiles um, to the tune of Mach 5, or basically $500 million. The missiles would be mainly used to equip Norway's new fleet of F-35 fighters. Not only is this the single largest procurement of arms for the Norwegian Armed Forces ever, the Norwegian Military of Defense said the medium-range AMRAM-D is expected to be the main weapon of the country's combat aircraft for decades to come. All right, good for you. In 1977, British troops captured Fort Washington during the American Revolution. In 1945, the founding of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chance. All right, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to get onto the subject of Iran and the apparently 15,000 people Invisible people that weren't actually killed, that Justin Trudeau basically put out in a tweet that were killed and then immediately removed the tweet. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in this cold D.C. area, <laughs> you catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share the audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with the chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202 202- 521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is. Don't be shy. We'll try to get to you at 945. Maybe they're rumbling us down in Bali. Maybe. 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 I would love to hear from a Bali caller. It's like, hey, I'm here in Bali. I was at the G20. You guys are awesome. Right. Like, I would love to hear that that Radio Sputnik got down to Bali and they're listening on Rumble or watching on yeah. Rumble. That would be really cool. My dentist listens to Fault Lines. I mean, we got a caller from Australia, so it's possible. Oh, it's very possible. Yeah. We get them all over. I think Sweden one time. Oh, yeah. Somebody from Sweden tried to call. That was pretty cool. Yeah. But look, let's get to our guests. We have the one and only. Okay. Nope. We are going to hide in as Rala. He's a Lebanese political analyst and commentator when he gets here. And, you know, it's not just Russia that gets hit with propaganda. Do you remember the Tillerson memo? Oh, Tillerson? Rex Tillerson? Yeah. So a memo was given to Rex Tillerson early on. Tillerson had said something about human rights, and they basically were saying, look, cut that human rights stuff out. We use human rights as a club to hit countries like China, Iran, um, countries we don't like, and Russia. Right. We don't use it to hit countries like Saudi Arabia, or for the matter, Turkey, or Turkey, who are allies of ours. Or have, we have interests. Yes. He was very stark, very clear, 
cut that human rights nonsense what, out. Was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, because their thing was this businessman is talking right. about, and it's like, dude, that's not the way we do policy. Well, that's that's not the way had, we do politics. He had such a short run yeah. in politics. Yeah, he didn't stay long. Because he got in and he was like, wait, I I can't just say, like, the real stuff that's happening? It's like, no, you cannot. <laughs> you cannot. He's like, cut that out. And look, for Iran, they, they're claiming that Iran put 15,000 women to death. Was it specifically women? I thought it was I thought women. It was, I thought it was 15,000 Oh, protesters. I'm protesters. sorry. Protesters. Yeah. I'm thinking of women because it was something. I had a it conversation about, with somebody else. Well, then. it was about the, the women's protests, basically. Right. Yeah, the for, women's protests. Yeah. For and they were saying they put 15,000 people to death. Um, my, or at least punished them to death because they were arrested. There not were, women. I'm sorry. Protesters. You're right. They were arrested. That's true. That but were, putting to death is a whole different death, animal. I don't. Yeah. I don't. That's. We arrest a lot of people at the protests that take place in the United States. Look at the number of people who arrested. We didn't put them to death. No, I, I need to point out that for as much as, you know, I, I believe in women's rights and all that stuff. And, yeah. and I also respect that country's, you know, their way of dress, their culture. That's, that's a separate thing, right? Yeah. But to frame them the way the U.S. media does is so unfair. It is. I'm not saying they're perfect or that Iran is great or, you know, women have this or that, whatever. I'm not saying that. Oh, is somebody in here? Laith is, Laith Laith is, is trying to in. communicate yeah. to me. Well, oh, well, he's Laith coming in. Coming. He's going to ca- have the conversation. Oh, oh. Uh, are we, can we introduce you as Bitcoin bro? <laughs> Bitcoin bro. Don from Lebanon. Laith is coming in. Um, he's going to have a conversation about what was taking place in Iran and, let's say, the condemnation of the country for something that didn't happen. Laith, what is going on, my man? All right. So he is trying to figure out how to get the mic to work. Um, yeah, it's on. It's yeah, on? It's hot. Oh, okay. Yeah, just put the headphones on and you'll be able to hear me. I love how I don't know how to do this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. He's a producer. Yeah. Laith. What's going on, my man? Hey, what's going on, guys? So 15,000 protesters were put to death for the Women's March. Or sentenced going, to sentenced death. Sentenced to death, thank you, um, at the Women's March. Justin Trudeau puts out a tweet, how dare I sentence all of these people <laughs> to death, and then he immediately removes the tweet. What's, what's the truth about this, Leif? What happened? Well, first off, it was definitely misconstrued. Uh, what it sounds like, and it definitely went viral from Newsweek. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story basically said that this was 15,000 protesters <laughs> that were being sentenced to death. Right. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, you see all these, like, celebrities, all of these influencers going, oh, my God. They outraged. Is, outraged. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Viola Davis shares this thing. Oh, and I'm yeah. Viola Davis? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she gets and, and all of a sudden, like, you know, it's, like, crazy. I mean, obviously, sentencing any, anyone to death for, you know, protesting is— but what ended up happening was they found some like ar- some article from press TV, mm-hmm. and that was basically the the basis of the information. Okay, and it just went viral. Yeah, and it was. It reminded me of that Coney twenty twelve because like you just see all of these people coming in and just saying like, okay, we got to do something, we got to do something, and it's like the Iranians are like, what? Yeah. What? What the hell are y'all talking about? Yeah, yeah, like it was you know fifteen thousand people, and then you know. It, it, after a while, it was just like, where is this number coming from? And then you find out, like, then you find out the number is from what they claim was 15,000 people have been arrested. Yeah, I see. Since yeah. the start of the protests. 
But they believe like, that everybody who's arrested on Ryan gets put to death. Where do you get death penalty? Right. right. Death penalty is so extreme. Well, because of the parliament. So the parliament passed something apparently that had to do with uh, the officer, like some kind of violence against the officers. And they were saying, well, anyone who commits this is— Well, that's you, different, yeah. right? If you are one of those protesters who literally killed a cop— Right. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I've seen some of those videos. Those videos are atrocious. There's some horrible—yeah, yeah. I mean, and, there was one situation where these guys shoot all of these cops. The cops are like literally oh in their God. car— like, oh. I mean, it's sitting up, stuff. Right? Yeah. They couldn't fight back because right. there were so many protesters. Right. But here was my point before Laith walked in and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> my point was the way the mainstream media in the U.S. frames Iran is certainly unfair because they refuse to highlight the difference is that there are actually women's rights in Iran. Yeah. And in fact, abortion rights that by, by and large across the U.S. have been wiped away in the Dobbs decision. At the country, yeah. Right. Iran has more flexible abortion right laws for women in Iran than Texas does. Texas has basically zero abortion. Zero. Iran has multiple reasons as to why a woman can access abortion. They have actually effectively more women's rights than the state of Texas. I mean, I don't want to defend the Middle East's uh, treatment of women. Um, I mean, relatively speaking, I mean, it's pretty bad. Yeah. But I mean, the morality police thing is not. Well, I mean, yeah, I, not I, can't, I mean, I, even as an Arab, I, there's no way I can, you know, I mean, for instance, like my own countries don't even recognize a woman's nationality to pass it on to their children. So, I mean, there is some archaic laws and stuff like that. So I don't want to, you know, go too deep into that. But I mean, the the claim, what, what I've actually found was pretty fascinating or kind of kind of hypocritical, very hypocritical, I'm sorry, was the fact that the retraction isn't considered disinformation. Do you I mean like think about it like this. Okay, so the Russians got banned. They got banned from right. YouTube. They've got banned from a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of social media because they were considered disinformation. Right. This was disinformation far greater than anything I've seen from the Russians. Like, right. you don't see Russian posts going, multi, you know, millions and millions and millions of people. This was hitting all over social media. And, I mean, at what point do you go, do you see, a, like, an article or a hit piece going, oh, this is what happened. Now they're, you know, yeah. you know, now all of a sudden all these people care. But it doesn't happen like that. No. And, it's, and it's very hypocritical from the standpoint of the West who speaks about wanting to verify information. Oh, come on. Come like, on. You've seen the Ukrainian war stuff. Yeah, I mean, but they, I mean, that's the thing. They I mean, want to confirm information that is, I mean, even the, um, what's her name? The, oh, I can't think, I can never, scary Gina Poppins' Jankowitz? name. I mean, but. Gina Jankowitz. Yeah, Jankowitz. I mean, even with that, I mean, she was putting out misinformation the entire time and they put her as head of the board because it's like there's certain misinformation that we like and approve and there's certain misinformation right. that we don't. It's Some that. misinformation is good. Some information is good. It depends <laughs> on the source if yes. we like the source. That's it's ultimately that what it is. I mean, and Iran is one of those countries we don't particularly like. So anything that comes up. And look, to Manila's point, I agree with you. I'm not going to defend the minority. I didn't defend the, um, um, the morality police even early no. on when the first thing basically I'm, took place. Right. That's a personal thing, But you're right. Thing, though, they us. use that as a club in order to go after those particular countries. Meaning all of a sudden we care about Middle Eastern uh, women's right. rights. But nobody, not when we're bombing countries no, and killing nobody women. Nobody cares when Saudi Arabia kills 15-year-old protesters yes. or whatever. Or, or when the state of Israel jails and kills by puts at least puts on death row, yes, like twelve year old kids. That's right for throwing rocks or just being at a place where something awful happened. Right, yeah. little chil- Palestinian children. We don't care then. Well, those Palestinian children are never children, apparently, <laughs> not by Israel's. Well, assessment. rocks are very dangerous. Yeah, and rocks are rocks are, you know, as bad as nuclear weapons. I mean, to be frank, though, I mean, it's just. 
a level like the the Iranian protests, for instance. I mean, there's protests going right now in Albania, for instance. Yeah. And the coverage in the West is so much different when it comes to Iran. And, and granted, give me your take on that. I mean, I took that as the West is trying to provoke this into an overthrow, like like a color revolution. Like if you think of, I mean, you may start off with a kernel of something that legitimately happened, but even in this, it wasn't the way that they were basically saying. They were trying to act like the morality police murdered this girl in a police right. car. The well, framing think, is bad. Yeah, the framing is I horrible. Think people need to. I, th- I think a lot of people don't understand how complex Iran is because Iran also has a lot of ethnic groups. Yeah. For instance, uh, the the girl that was killed is of the Kurdish. Mm-hmm. She's Kurdish. And, I mean, you have Kurdish, you have Aziris, you have wait, actual— Wait, wait, let's back up and not say she was killed because you have evidence that they killed her. I mean, okay, so— The girl that died. Okay, we'll say she died. Yeah. Uh, I mean, regardless, I mean, there's a lot of ethnic groups. And, and, in, and in the western part of the country, there's kind of been a lot of tension, especially with the PJAK, which is kind of an offshoot of—not kind of, they are an offshoot of the PKK in yeah. Turkey. So you have, you know, Iran and Turkey ultimately kind of coming together when it comes to this group with Tur- with Kurdish separatists. Because they call them terrorists. Yeah, I mean, yeah, does Iran call, also they're consider outlawed, them They're outlawed group. Because this is, they want um, Kurdistan. They want to create this kind of Kurdistan republic that basically includes territory from all of those different regions going back to the Ottoman Empire. Sure, yeah, yeah. And in their heads, we're trying to create this, which means you need to take from Turkey, Iran, Syria. Well, yeah, and I mean, to, to, to that point, like, I mean, what I've seen is, like, with the women who really do want this, you know, this kind of, this... That's kind of, but they want this freedom, uh, freedom to choose. And by all means, I support, you know, that stuff. But w- what you see is, especially here and in, in Europe, uh, a lot of political groups like the MEK, which is a leftist group. And then you see the terrorist the organization. Shah, what they're doing is they're hijacking a lot of these causes. And they've done this multiple times in the past where they go and they take a social, uh, sociological cause and they'll basically take it and use that as a as a platform to try to bring down the government. Right. And by doing so, they've been kind of pushing this regime change. So if you see like, for instance, the the the, the Shah, the, 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 the guy, the kid that left when he was like a baby yeah. and like, you know, he's been living in America for his whole time and he's out here processing talking about like women's rights and all this stuff and it's like, dude, your father was like a whore, like your father was like big on repression and like, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, I, again, like it's not to say that, you know, defending one side or the other, but it's like, uh, well, you know. I give you an example. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell comes out and makes a comment. He's like, Obamacare doesn't even cover everybody. As if he'd be okay <laughs> for a while that would cover everybody, right? It's like, okay, McConnell's for Medicare for all. No, I'm not for that either. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're jump behind the calls, even if you don't necessarily back the calls in order to go after who you want to go after. Astonishing. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's... It's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens in the next few months. Um, Do you think these protests are going to keep going in Iran? Um, it's hard to say because, you know, we've seen protests, pretty big protests in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was Netta who was killed, I believe, a, f- a few years back. And they, it also caused a lot of protests. There was the Green Revolution. Yeah. Um, it w- you got to remember, Iran is a country of 80 million people. It's right. not a it's small huge. country. You know, if you see one, you know, if you see a protest with thousands of people, you know, you automatically assume that this is a massive, massive, right. massive thing. But again, like in America, like we have 300, 330 million people. Yeah. Like Iran has 80 million people. And, you know, it's hard to gauge really what exactly or like how much real the population. Public sentiment. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, you got to remember, I mean, there is also a, a pretty large contingent of people inside the country that are also very conservative themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's really a, a thing where it's hard to really gauge. And I think, you know, we, we see what people say here and we see what people say, you know, in Europe. But it's like it, it is very, very difficult to to say that 
you know, the majority of people support this or the majority right. of people support that. I mean, what you believe is technically what you're going to, you know, push out. Yeah. So, you know, if you are very anti-government, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, the government's doing all this stuff. If you're pro-government, you're going to be like, this isn't. It just so, depends on who you talk. So, yeah, I mean, like, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few months. I do expect more sanctions against the Iranians. Mm-hmm. Um, I do expect the nuclear deal to ultimately collapse. I mean, if it's not already collapsed. It doesn't seem like that's going anywhere. Uh, it's, 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 it's not. And I, I think they have justification now. And as we get closer to the, to the uh, 2024 elections, I don't think we're going to see anything there. And I think Trump, ultimately, if he does come into office or whoever the Republican is, it's ultimately going to be the end of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't foresee U.S.-Iranian relations getting going any anywhere. Better. And I mean, it's it's kind of a shame because, you know, now U.S.-Cuban relations are getting a little bit better. The opening of the embassy. Don't forget just a couple of months ago, John Bolton was like, the IRGC put a hit on me. <laughs> I don't think anyone should ever do anything. John Bolton is a comedian. Like, I enjoy John Bolton. Yeah. I like, do. I enjoy like, him too. That so much that I, I love, love the it. mustache. Like, yeah. I'm very against harming any of these people because I, I really believe that these people are great for, you know, like, you know when, for like, com- comedy <laughs> relief. Like, when Ukraine relief. comes on and this guy's coming out talking about, like, freedom, it's like, dude, Yo. don't, <laughs> don't you want to bomb? Right. Like, <laughs> right, right. Have you ever found a country that you don't, for you know, see, like, dropping, like, a big bomb on? Like, it's this guy. Like, why? This I mean, come on. This is the same guy that laughed when he was like, so you've been overthrowing countries. So, oh, we're not going to get into that shit. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to get into that. It's like, oh, there's no, we, we weren't trying to overthrow the Venezuelan government, but we were trying yeah. to. Yeah, right. I, I call it a hobby. Everyone's got a hobby. Yeah. So, Leigh, always appreciate you coming yeah, on, no man. No problem, guys. Thank you, man, for um, explaining this. And yeah, it's appalling. And yeah, they do try to use human uh, women's rights and all this other stuff in order to overthrow a government, in which case they probably still wouldn't have women's rights. Uh, but look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan. We'll be back with the voice of wisdom and truth. Mark Sloboda. I know he hates it when I say that, but still, he earns it. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And we're we'll bringing our guest, Mark Sloboda. He's a military and political analyst based in Moscow. Mark, what's going on, man? How are you doing this morning? Tomorrow, Manila, thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on Fault Lines. It is always an honor and a pleasure to have you. And last night's reporting, apparently, Ukraine has attacked Poland. Well, they were calling it a Russian missile. They initially Article said that. Five. Article 5. Article 5. Time activate, to, to bomb Ukraine. Right. Ukraine. All of those countries, the U.S. included, needs to run an attack on Ukraine. Um, give me a take on this. When this reporting first came out, they initially said Russia attacked Poland. Russia attacked Poland. And they were screaming it in those headlines. And I remember having a conversation with... Um, but I call him a girlfriend, where I was like, this is nonsense. This is either a false flag or they're getting this wrong. Lo and behold, this morning, um, Duda comes out and basically owns up to the fact that this was a Ukrainian missile, even though he continued to blame Russia for the fact that a Ukrainian missile killed two Polish citizens or civilians. Give me your take on this. What were you thinking when this story first came out? And what was the going on in Russia as they were reporting that a Russian missile basically hit Ukraine, um, hit Poland? Give me your take on this. What was going on on the ground? Well, you slipped in the most important information there. You have a girlfriend? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 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 That's, the, that's clearly the most important information. <laughs> well, we'll have, to, we'll have to discuss that later. Anyway, um, so, um, I mean, if you take a look at the headlines, I mean, particularly the British press, right? 
Russian bombs hit Poland. Russian missiles hit Poland. The Daily Telegraph, paper of record. Russian missiles strike Poland. And um, actually, this was one of the ways that they attempted to spin it early on. There was an attempt to say that they were Russian-made missiles. Well, yeah, I mean, most of the military equipment that Ukraine used up until a few months ago was Russian-made. So, side. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, so, yesterday there were massive uh, cruise missile strikes that Russia conducted against uh, the Kiev regime, uh, primarily their, but not only their electrical infrastructure. Um, there was supposedly more than a hundred missile strikes. Uh, but we know that can't be true because I've heard at least 60 times now that Russia has run out of missiles. <laughs> That's right. By the way, they've been reporting that for months. For months they've been reporting that. So um, anyway, these were large strikes. And uh, an interesting thing. All right. The, the primary target and the, the target that you're definitely going to hear about is uh, transformer substations, the 330 volt. By, there are other targets they could hit that would do more permanent damage to the electrical infrastructure. Uh, but by hitting these substations, they are taking it out. They've taken so many of them out. Kirishim no longer really has the ability to repair them. But there is more permanent damage they can do. They also struck a few thermal plants. Uh, the one thing they're not mentioning is that Russia, for the first time, also hit the headquarters of the armed forces of Ukraine, uh, controlled by the Kiev regime in Kiev. And that is the first time we've seen a strike on what can definitively be called, I mean, uh, Russia has hit the SBU, the intelligence service before, but they've always refrained from hitting uh, the military headquarters, uh, the decision-making centers, command and control, um, as the U.S. likes to talk about them. So that's significant. That, that That is a change in the rules of engagement that Russia has been engaging in. But uh, during this attack, there were reports that a Russian missile had struck a grain farm across the border in Poland and, and killed two farmers. Um, and right away, the, the propaganda machine uh, both in the media, and it definitely is a self-motivated propaganda machine. Um, a lot of sources in Poland, um, uh, and, and certainly the Kiev regime, Russia attacked Poland, uh, NATO Article 5, yay, yay, World War III. Um, but um, it, quickly, it quickly became obvious that this was not the real story. Um, the Polish press uh, very quickly put out pictures, and an examination of the pictures makes it pretty clear that this is uh, part of a connector ring from a fuel tank for an S-300 air defense system interceptor, a, a type of air defense system that both Russia and Ukraine uses, but because it's an air defense system and the location and the location of the hit, it the range and so forth makes it improper Russia to have fired this, and they were firing the cruise missiles, right? The regime was firing their few remaining uh, Soviet legacy air defense systems. Now, the question remaining 
uh, is did they fire it and it went errant, right? They use a lot of older models that are not in the great repair, repair and they've actually resulted, resorted to digging up missiles from uh, other um, countries that had the S-300 because the coverage team is running out of them. And a lot of these are, are really old uh, systems that have been faulty. And uh, the coverage team has, we've regularly seen incidences uh, where during Russian missile strikes, it's claimed that Russia is hitting residential buildings and the like. Uh, and then, you know, if, if there's actually any investigation of that, you'll see Russia's hitting uh, residential buildings with the uh, S-300 uh, missile system. And you're like, what? Russia's firing an air defense system against ground <laughs> targets? Yeah, that's actually what... There are there are newspaper articles out there claiming, and the reason why is because Russia's running out of missiles, right? Because obviously, because they just fired a hundred cruise missiles in a day, and you see what has happened repeatedly. They've been firing air, older air defense uh, interceptor models, uh, and uh, they often go awry, um, and they've been hitting their own um, uh, buildings. Now that doesn't necessarily that doesn't make it the Kiev regime's fault. Right. You know, they were attempting to intercept, but, you know, they're they're um, causing some of their own civilian damage in many of these situations. And this was certainly the case, although they lied, they're continuing to lie and deny this. But finally, facing the, the question, we see that for the first time that I can recall, uh, first, led by the United States, and the rest of NATO is kind of slowly getting in line behind it, the uh, the U.S. admitted that the Kim regime is lying. And, and that's the first time I've seen that. And it's a significant thing. We know the line that the U.S. won't cross now. They're, they're not ready for a direct NATO-Russia conflict. That's the way I took it, too. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly yes. the way I took it. But, Mark, what... what- Yes, yeah, absolutely. But Mark, what about that? I mean, a couple of things here. Let's unpack um, the, the, the fact that Volodymyr Zelensky immediately came out and was like, Russia did it. Like, See, Russia killed, yeah. killed Polish people. Hey, everybody in NATO, activate. Article 5, activate, activate. <laughs> and so that's one, one point I'd like for us to talk Third about. Uh, another point is that... Wonder twin powers. Yeah, activate. <laughs> yeah. NATO, activate five. Um, So there's that. Um, Let's unpack also that suddenly there is that fine line, right, where NATO actually was like, um, let's activate Article 4 and just call a joint group meeting about this. Um, Yeah, Article 4 is a call for a a joint security consultation on something. Let's have a NATO call. And now... Now the Article Four is going away too. Poland's like, ah, eh, we don't yeah. see a need for an Article Four. We don't, we don't want to talk about the threat that 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 Ukraine presents, that the Kiev yeah. regime presents to us. And and what about? I mean, I mean, seeing as this was a, a terrible, unfortunate accident, accident as according to President Duda, um, is there any chance that now NATO might reconsider the accession of Ukraine? into the block, given that this is what the whole damn thing is about to begin with. I mean, first of all, I mean, NATO has pretty much said that Ukraine is not going to join NATO for the near future. I certainly don't think that is going to change. But 
Now, for the Russian side, that's not even, you know, the officiality of Ukraine joining NATO um, is actually, uh, you know, it's a step further. But Ukraine is de facto a member of NATO now. I mean, NATO is going all out, providing tens of billions of dollars of, of aid, tens of billions of dollars of their own military stockpiles. They're depleting their, in many cases, their own active duty military uh, weapon supplies uh, in order to support this. They've got um, CIA, European commandos, now uniformed U.S. troops all on the ground in Ukraine, right? I mean, it, they, they're, they're, uh, the, the, we, we heard from Russia accusations that the British Navy is planning and uh, providing the drones for and directing attacks on the Black Sea Fleet. I mean, this is this is all what's going on. But obviously, NATO still at this point wants to maintain that thin, flimsy degree of proxy war, right, where they can say, uh, well, we're not really at war with Russia, but Russia must be defeated. And NATO, NATO must be victorious. Uh, I mean, Ukraine, Ukraine must be victorious. Well, Mark, Mark, is there is there any chance, though, that Zelensky, I mean, he comes out there and says this outright, right? He just he just says it point blank. NATO, come get these guys. And it turns out it's fired from Ukrainian territory. Is there any chance that Zelensky didn't know that? And it, it's, it's not the first time. I mean, uh, there was a, an incident back in March where um, Ukrainian air defense shut shot a Romanian MiG out of the sky. Uh, same same type of system, an S-300. Uh, and that was just whoosh, brushed under the carpet. Never happened, right? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so uh, this will be done the same way. Uh, the West is not going to stop supporting the regime in Kiev. Because of this incident, the lies will just be ignored um, because this is about big world order stuff at this point. I mean, we've heard from Mark Milley say that the U.S. rules-based order, right? I, uh, uh, they don't mean international law in that case. They mean U.S. Uh, what U.S.-led Western global hegemony uh, is at stake, right? Um, we've heard Jen Stoltenberg saying uh, that, that NATO must prevail, that, that a Russian victory would be a defeat for NATO. Uh, so, you know, they've made that clear. This is a much bigger than just Ukraine at this point. I'm glad you mentioned that because when I saw the story, initially my thought was, okay, this is what NATO has decided. Meaning they've decided that the issue with Ukraine is so important that they want to use something as a pretext in order to get further involved into the war. But to your point, when Biden comes out and is like, yeah, we don't think this is the case. We don't think this actually came um, for Russia in that situation. Like you said, it seemed that they put a line in the sand of, OK, we are not willing to go here, which on some level gives you. I don't know. I guess this feeling of restraint when all of those countries were basically meeting. I think it was they turned into a G7, even though they were the G20. Well, I, I suspect I would love to be a fly on the wall in that room because I'm very curious about whether or not the question came up of do we want to push this now? Meaning, do we want to take what takes place here as a precedent? They had no issue with lying about Gazprom. They had no issue with lying about who was bombing Zaporozhye. They had no issue with lying about Russia bombing um, its own prison camp of Azov members. Like, they had no issue with lying about any of this stuff. And so my thought was, is this going to be something else that they basically lie about? I mean, were you surprised that they pulled back on this? I mean, because all things in equal, they did pull back. 
A, a little bit. I, 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 you know, I've certainly talked about the potential, right? I mean, moving the 101st Airborne to Romania exactly. and, you know, directly talking about Odessa. I, I, and I don't think it rules it out definitively for the future, depending on events in the conflict. But they're obviously not ready for that uh, at this point. Uh, whether they will be in the future, I think, is still an open question. But also, remember, when you're talking the G7, um, the, the hawkish, the most hawkish anti-Russian, pro-Ukraine, let's go to war now members, um, there's only one of them in the G7, and that would be the United Kingdom, right? The big, the big loudest attack dogs are the Baltics and Poland and Romania and the United Kingdom. Um, and, and so uh, in that particular format, uh, they, they definitely prefer the fig leaf uh, the majority prefer the fig leaf of, of proxy war. And that, that seems to be definitively, but uh, already within hours, even after that, we have heard new, uh, uh, weapons promises, uh, to the Kim regime, uh, from European countries, from NATO countries. So quite obviously the fact that the Kim regime blatantly lied and is continuing to lie, uh, and that it was their own air defense system, whether by accident or by attempted uh, false flag to draw NATO in, uh, hit a NATO member uh, and killed two uh, NATO, uh, Polish NATO citizens. Uh, but it's not going to change their military support for the carriage. Mark, I'm curious on something else. The missile strikes that took place, those missile strikes were pretty Astonishing. I mean, in regards to their scale and scope, where were they isolated? I, we were hearing that there were attacks on Kiev. I want to say Lviv, but I could be wrong on that part. Lvov, yes. Lvov, yeah. Give me your take on that. I mean, is it those strikes, like you said, some of those strikes even hit um, the military um, installation or the military, um, the, I want to say the brainchild or, or the brain trust from the standpoint of the military organization in Ukraine. Give me your take on this. What was the purpose of those strikes? I mean, is it still just to take down the energy grid itself? I mean, and is there any coincidence that these strikes were taking place in their scale while Zelensky was giving his 20-minute monologue um, to the UN? I mean, I'm sorry, to the G20? What's going on with that? Yeah, and, and why, did, why did they wait this long to go after the power grid? Because, you know, typical Western and NATO bloc, um, what they do is, yeah, they go in and they immediately bomb infrastructure. Yeah. All right. So first of all, Ukraine has a Soviet legacy electrical system, right? Electrical distribution system, which means it is built to take a lot of damage. It is very heavily redundant, right? It has, um, uh, and, and Ukraine has a lot of uh, ability to repair it, but that is pretty much been exhausted at this point. And this is, there, there have been continuous uh, uh, you know, small amounts of attacks, but this is the fourth big wave that we've seen. And at this point, it's got to be over 60% of Ukraine's uh, electrical uh, infrastructure. The, the grid has, has been damaged to the point uh, where it cannot easily be repaired. We've already heard officials out of Lvov saying that they won't be able to repair that for a year. And the, the attacks were, were widespread. Uh, they were uh, uh, very, they know the, the way the Ukraine's electrical infrastructure works. I mean, it was built during the Soviet Union. Um, and they have basically been assessing after each wave of attacks what is still operating and what is not and what is necessary, the next hits, 
that will do the minimal amount of permanent damage but still achieve our goal. And when they're attacking the electrical infrastructure, I mean, uh, the Kim regime likes to attack it, that it's attacking civilian infrastructure. Well, yeah, I mean, it's dual use. And the most important thing Russia is aiming at here is the military logistics system of the country, train transport, right? Everything is moved militarily, whether we're talking troops or tanks or, or um, infantry fighting vehicles or ammunition or artillery shells, fuel. It's all moved by trains, right? That's the easiest way to things move things around. Using roads for the amount of military equipment that's moving around is, is really, first of all, it's fuel intensive, and, and, and second of all, it's very inefficient, right? You, you, it's simply not capable. The capacity isn't there. And by taking out the trains in Ukraine run on electricity, and by taking out uh, you know these select uh, substations, they are directly attacking Kiev regime's ability to move their troops around, uh, you know, limiting their logistics. And this is, in many ways, has become, because of the full-throated NATO support now, and, and pretty much everything that the Kiev regime is now using is NATO supplied, whether we're talking artillery pieces, artillery shells, the uh, M777s, the HIMARS, uh, the, 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 most of their air defense systems that are left, everything is supplied by NATO at this point. And it's got to move all the way across the country from Poland to the front lines, which means that logistics is very important here. And it's become a war of attrition. And in a war of attrition, it's logistics, it's uh, uh, industrial warfare that matters. And um, because Russia has already taken out the Kiev regime's ability to produce more, they re 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 are depending entirely at this point on Western military supplies. And if you inhibit the ability to move those across the country um, and then to move them around the front lines, uh, that is uh, a big uh, military blow. And that's what they're aiming at. And that fits exactly within the original mission goal uh, of demilitarization. I'm curious on something. What has taken place on the ground so far? I mean, we've talked about these um, attacks itself, but from the standpoint of, let's say, movement on the ground, either from Russia or, for that matter, Ukraine, what has taken place on the battlefield? Okay, so first of all, we've already discussed how Russia has withdrawn uh, from the right bank of the Dniper in Harrison City. They've, they, they, they moved uh, some twenty to 30,000 troops. They, they, they moved 100,000 citizens out of the city and set them up in apartments anywhere in Russia. Um, but there are there, and the, the goal is to use those troops elsewhere. Of course, the Kiev regime will also use the majority of their troops that they had gathered there, up to some 60,000 elsewhere. Uh, so now it, it becomes a, a race and, and kind of a game. You know, where is each side going to stack their, their new usable pieces? Because the Viper prevents such a formidable uh, geographic obstacle. Uh, that said, the Kiev regime is still going to continue at some attacks in that direction, um, primarily because the, the right bank of, of the Dniper, uh, you know, of the Harrison city side that the Kim regime now controls, is has a much higher elevation, uh, which gives them a big artillery advantage. Um, and there is a long spit, a kind of peninsula, 
um, of the Nikolaev region that sticks right out there. Uh, that the Kiev regime has already made some initial uh, attempts with marine boats to see what Russian defenses are like there because they would like to take it uh, so that they could then start using Nikolaev uh, as a seaport as well as Odessa, uh, moving it outside of, of Russia. So I foresee that Russia there is probably going to eventually allow themselves to be backed up a certain distance from the Dniper to, to make sure that they are out of the majority of the Kiev regime's artillery range. And the Kiev regime will continue to make forays across the Dniper, trying to make a bridgehead on the other side. They'll find that very difficult uh, uh, because they'll have the same problems with supply that, that Russia, exactly the region Russia says that they withdrew from. Um, and they'll be right in the face of Russian artillery there. But I think you're going to see a little bit of movement there, uh, but um, that is mostly of a diversionary nature. I don't think there's enough for a real offensive there. Um, I suspect that, that the Kiev regime will probably try to move most of their troops to Zaporozhye and, and start pushing towards Melitopol uh, in, uh, in uh, that region in an attempt to try to divide Russian forces between the south and towards Crimea and to the north. They will also, with their longest range artillery, including the Heimeyers, now begin to take some um, fire control over the supply roads coming in and out of the Crimean Peninsula at the longest range. Uh, we'll have to see how, how many pieces they have left of that range to be able to do that. But that's a threat. Um, right now, Russia is pushing really hard in Donetsk, uh, both uh, at, uh, in three different locations, uh, at Bakhmut, um, Avdeevka uh, in the south, uh, this titanic fortress city there, and also at Uglodar, uh, which is a, a, a geographically high positioned, uh, it's rel actually a really relatively small uh, town, but it, it's an important logistics hub that Kiev regime has used in southern Donetsk. And Russia, Russian forces have had some pretty decent success in the recent weeks in all of these three locations as they move to encircle them and cut them off from resupply. And the Kiev regime does not seem able to stop those. Uh, although now both sides have the potential to shove thousands of more troops into those fights, uh, and it will kind of be a matchup game. There still is a petering out last big uh, Kiev regime uh, offensive uh, uh, coming from the Kharkov region towards Lugansk. They have not made much progress in that direction, uh, and I don't think that they're going to. I don't, I don't think, I think uh, that they'll continue to attack, but it won't be a big uh, breakout. Mark, thank you, man. Always appreciate it. Mark Sloboda is an international relations and security analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Sloboda one and definitely check out his new YouTube channel, Real Politic with Mark Sloboda and on Facebook.com slash Gramsci. Fault Lines, Thomas Chan, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. 
Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan. That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. All right, super interesting to put it mildly um, about what's taking place in the world in general. Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest, I agree with you. The Malik thing, I have forgot all about the fact Poor, that Malik I, was in I have to Mar-Lago. apologize. I meant to text him and ask him if he wanted any sound bites to yeah. share or whatever, but I totally forgot because of the missiles. Went all out of my mind. I saw that and it was like, Sorry, all right, Malik. it's the third world war. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, all right, we're here. No longer whistling past the graveyard. We're at that graveyard. We're like texting our, our group here at Fault Lines. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to World War III. Yeah. Oh my God. Because you're like, pretext. false flag, false flag. False flag. They're going to take us to World War III. We're going to die. Oh my God. Oh my God. It starts today. Are you surprised that Biden backed off of that? I am. I, I am. Because I, I, I thought they I were going to run with it. I wasn't sure how far NATO wanted to go. When I saw that, I was like, all right. There's my answer. I mean, I prayed that cooler heads would prevail. Yeah. I'm shocked that cooler heads prevailed. Because, by the way, they could have used this. Yeah, this is the pretext. This could have been the pretext. Oh, there it is. Russia has attacked Poland for whatever reason. But, I mean, now you have Zelensky multiple times calling for America, use your nukes, preemptive, preemptive Article nukes. Article 5. No, no, this is before. Well, oh, that's this right. Like months he ago. Was He's like, preemptive nukes. Preemptive Think about nukes. that. Preemptive nuclear then war. We said no. Then he's like, he looks over at France and he's like, Macron, use your nukes. <laughs> use your nukes. And Macron was like, bro. He was like, chakra blue now. <laughs> chakra blue. I have no idea what that means. That just sounds funny to me. But yeah, no. I think no. Le Pew used to say that. Chakra blue. Chakra blue. So I think we grew up in the Looney Tunes era. Yeah. era and, and Oh, that's where that's coming from? Yeah, I have no idea. I, think that, I, think I have no idea where that's coming from. Pepe Le Pew, the skunk. You know, yeah. the amorous skunk. Yeah. Um, I think he used to say that when he was like looking at his paramour. Yeah. Chakra blue. Chakra blue. blue. But yeah, they were like, no. Yeah, and then Macron was like, bro, we're not that close. Because he was shopping around the Third World War for a while. He was like, He's hey, would this. you like to initiate a Third World War? Yeah, that's okay. How about you? Would yes. you like to initiate a Third World War? And I thought this was it. So accident or not, whether they were Ukrainians were trying to defend themselves or not, yeah. at the end of the day, I zero chance that Zelensky didn't know that it was their SAM, their surface-to-air oh. missile defense system. Now see, I don't know that. I don't. I don't buy it. Personally, I don't, I think he knows. I don't know if he would have cared one way or the other. Well, I don't that's, think he but cared. that's probably true. But yeah. I, I'm saying I think he knows. Yeah. Caring is a different, different thing. Yeah. How he feels about it is a different thing. What I'm saying is, I don't buy that. There's any chance he didn't know. By the way, it even occurred to me that they might have fired them as on purpose. Oh yeah, that's, even that I mean, occurred that's the to whole me. premise of a false flag. Yeah, it's like we need to get these countries you're into a war. Another. We can't you're framing win it. another party on purpose. Exactly. We can't. We can't win this. We can't win it without other forces coming in. Oh, lo and behold, Russia has attacked Poland. I thought it was going to be that. Yeah. So, thankfully. Thank God. Cooler heads. Biden was like, yeah, I'm not going to say that. I don't want to go there. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with getting the United States into a third world war. Yeah. Mm, Trump just announced. I just, <laughs> All right. I don't, I got stuff Trump to, just announced. Imagine if Biden would have went that route. Donald Trump would have said, they're going to get this world yes. killed. And oh, that would be he would have hit him winning. Hard. He's like, I'm going to push for world peace. Yes. No world war under me. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. Walking around with a right. peace lily. 
And it does. Yes. As he comes like, out to the stand. Yeah. Peace, Nick. Yeah, right. Trump. <laughs> right, right. Right. Look at me hanging out with Kim Jong-un. He didn't fire, you know, missiles into the Sea of Japan. When I was in office, I'm, we I'm were the able to work that out. I'm proof of concept that negotiation works. Right. That war would have never taken place if I was at all. All of that would have came out. Oh, Biden yeah. is trying to get us into a third world war. It would have been a gift to yes. Trump last oh, night. Oh, man. It would have been a, just a gift with the biggest bow for Trump. Yes. But that is the main story. That is the big story. And apologies to our friend Malik, <laughs> who, who we sent down there to cover the story for Trump. And then the Poland thing happened. So, all right. So former U.S. President Donald Trump made it, I would say Twitter official, but he's still banned, uh, made it official, filing his paperwork with the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, late Tuesday. Uh, he's in He's in the ring for 2024. Filed it uh, just moments before, and then he appeared on stage a little bit late. I think we were expecting him a little earlier in the evening, but he came on a little bit later um, from his Mar-a-Lago estate in Palm Beach, Florida declared himself officially a candidate for POTUS 2024. Then another thing happened in the wee hours before we actually came into the studio. The first unmanned lunar mission, Artemis 1, with the Space Launch System rocket and the Orion spacecraft was launched today from NASA's Kennedy Space Center down in Florida. A lot of stuff happening in Florida. NASA tweeted, because they're not banned, NASA tweeted, Artemis 1 begins a new chapter in human lunar exploration, and the mission should last several weeks, spending at least one week in a distant retrograde orbit around the moon. During the mission, NASA specialists will correct the spacecraft's trajectory and test its preparedness for future missions. Boots on the ground. We are, boots on the ground. We are sending boots to the ground in the next, they, they say, about 10 years. And, 10 years? Yeah. I mean, I'd be around in 10 years. I want boots on the oh ground now. Oh, my God, Jabarl, you're going to be around <laughs> in 10 years. But one of the things that um, NASA, somebody at NASA pointed out is that they intend on diversifying the footprints on the moon. So they expect to put, put the first person of color on the moon. It's a big thing because the U.S. hasn't been to the moon since the 60s. Right. So we are now in the 2020s. We're diversifying moon footsteps. Just saying. Okay. Look, I, of course, I want a black person and a trans person and a Chinese person. And I want all of those people on the ground. Fair enough. Don't let that be the main criteria. Like the right. Like, we're like, they're like, okay, we, we need don't... a short list of black people. Right. We need a short <laughs> list of want... black astronauts. Do you happen to be trans? Or gay? Yeah, like, oh, you're not good like, enough. Yeah, you're not good enough. <laughs> Just you, yeah. Are any of you minority astronauts that fit all these things? Because that's what we would like to put yeah. on the moon. First trans person walks on the yes. moon. It's like, that's, yeah, that's, I guess, so. an accomplishment. I, I don't know, man. I, look, when I look at this stuff about... I mean, cool, but don't let that be the Exactly. And it's like, yeah, I want that diversification and everything else, but I want that stuff to be somewhat organic. I don't want it to be... Okay, we're forcibly choosing Kamala Harris. We're forcibly choosing the woman for the Supreme Court just right. because of... Give me the best person. Like, like I'm friends with, with Leroy Chow, yeah. the former ISS commander. Oh, cool. Right? So Dr. Leroy Chow is of Asian descent. Yeah. You know, Amer- awesome last name, by the way. Chow. I love that. Dr. Leroy Chow, friend of mine, he was an Asian-American ISS commander for a couple years. Yeah. Super awesome. I mean, but this is several years back. Mm-hmm. Um, 
before we started caring about diversifying space, right? Uh, he just was a, the most qualified person right. to be the ISS commander. He happened to be Asian. So I was like, yes, yes. Of course he's good at math. <laughs> <laughs> Look, of course. I, I think the he left like gets the diversification thing wrong. Engineering. Because I really think, like, nobody, like I keep saying in Star Trek, no, Lieutenant Uhura didn't spend episodes talking about her being black on a Star Trek Enterprise. It was just understood. Is this the original series? Yeah, the Not original the, series. Okay. It's just, you understood that this person was black, gay, Asian, whatever. Whatever. She just so happened to be part for the job. It was just that. Like, nobody spent episodes, like they do like now, George where they spend Pique. episodes where it's like, I'm being Pointing seen. Yeah. yeah, it's like, dude. You don't have to tell me you're being seen on every damn episode. I I know in real life, like, obviously it was a big deal to see an Asian on screen back then. A gay person on screen. Like, great. Like, awesome. Like, great. That was for back then. But I don't think the character, because I didn't watch the show, but I don't think George Takei's character was like, I am Asian and gay. It didn't. The entire point of the Star Trek Enterprise was to show that the world... We're beyond it, right? Exactly. The world was beyond it, and the fact that all of these countries together on the bridge... Everybody on that bridge was a different nationality, give or take. Right. And the reason was... they were just people. They were just people. Earth has the ability to come together and to... Function. They were Earthlings. They were Earthlings. Why can't we just all be Earthlings? Like, just be okay with that. What else the point of this ship? All of us together as a planet can deal with the situations to which we're presented with if we're working together in order to do so. I mean, it wasn't this, I am now going to do an entire episode about being Asian. I'm going to do an episode about being gay. I'm going to do an entire episode about being sane. Nobody corrected their gender pronouns or started like, uh, uh, they. I check I more they. boxes than you, Javaro. Let me just say. <laughs> I check more boxes than you. So, all right, let's move on uh, to some domestic news. Over in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott speaking on Tuesday. Uh, he said, quote, I invoke the invasion clause of the U.S.-Texas constitutions to fully authorize Texas to take unprecedented measures to defend our state against an invasion. And he wrote that official statement on where else but Twitter. Um, So I don't exactly know what that entails, but he is now officially declaring this an invasion. So I don't know. You start picking off migrants at the border. I don't know. What does (laughs) that mean? Like, what are you doing? Like, they're invading. So what does that mean? All right. Um, Then neighboring Arizona, the Trump supporter candidate for governor, Carrie Lake, has announced that she will contest the election results after a very razor-thin margin loss to Democrat Katie Hobbs. Lake has so far refused to concede. She also tweeted, quote, Arizonans know BS when they see it. But that was all she said, provided no context for that claim. Then FBI Director Christopher Wray told the House Homeland Security Committee on Tuesday that China is the world's number one biggest data personal information thief. He said one of the main security concerns was that it comes from TikTok, which is owned by Beijing-based ByteDance and subject to fall under China's 2017 national intelligence law that requires citizens and businesses to assist in intelligence gathering and that they must share intelligence. So he said, quote, China's vast hacking program is the world's largest and they have stolen more Americans' personal and business data than every other nation combined. And then a U.S. federal judge has vacated the use of Title 42. Speaking of the border, 
uh, that was used to deny entry to people during COVID. And we've talked a lot about that here on this show. Quote, the court vacates and sets aside the Title 42 policy and all, all orders and decision memos issued by the CDC and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services suspending the right to introduce certain persons into the United States, says U.S. District Judge Emmett Sullivan in his court order. Now, Judge Sullivan called Title 42 arbitrary and capricious in violation of the Administrative Procedural Procedure Act, which governs federal regulatory process. Then the DOD says they're short by about a billion and a half bucks and they need it so they can complete their F-35 fighter jet orders for Lockheed Martin so that the fleet can hit the 375 aircraft goal, according to Bloomberg. The shortfall revealed in a new list of unfunded priorities that have been sent to Congress. Now, if the $1.4 billion is not additionally provided, let's be clear, the DOD is asking Congress for another billion and a half bucks. The anticipated new three-year contract worth up to $30 billion uh, could be in trouble. But people might, you know, purchase fewer aircraft from this very expensive program whose cost overrun after cost overrun has now totaled approximately $412 billion then over at the U.S. House of Representatives, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has officially been nominated to become the next Speaker of the House. Quote, House Republicans have elected Kevin McCarthy as our nominee for Speaker of the 118th Congress. House Republicans making it Twitter official. McCarthy clinched that nomination easily with the move coming down to a vote of 188 to 31, opposing, obviously, in his favor there, uh, he was being faced by a last-minute challenger in the form of Arizona Congressman Representative Andy Biggs. Then the international news here, U.S. President Joe Biden informed the G7 and NATO while he was down at the G20, basically hijacking poor President Wododo's very expensive G20 you know, Bali summit, right? It's very expensive to host anything there in Bali. Cost of living, ooh, ouch. Um, so he hijacked that, turned it into a G7 and NATO summit about the projectile that killed the two people in Eastern Poland on Tuesday. He said it belonged to the Ukrainian forces. So that is that. Then the leaders at G20 stated on Wednesday that they approved of a joint declaration in which they acknowledged the conflict in Ukraine has exacerbated the existing problems of the world economy. But different countries had different takes. Here's one of them, quote, there were other views and different assessments of the situation and sanctions. Recognizing that the G20 is not the forum to resolve security issues, we acknowledge that security issues can have significant consequences for the global economy. That is the official joint communique. Now, the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, who is alive and well, uh, said on Tuesday that there is, quote, no need to go deep, referring to Ukraine. No need to go deep since this is not the business of the G20. He also pointed out that the West tried to make the final declaration of the G20 summit politicized and include condemnation of Moscow's actions. So uh, probably a good thing that they pulled back on any finger wagging. 
then Africa's right to use its own natural gas must be reflected in all the contracts and agreements made during the ongoing COP27 climate summit happening right now in Egypt. Uh, one of the bankers there uh, said, quote, Africa must have natural gas to complement its renewable energy. Now, the minister of this bank emphasized that even if Africa triples its natural gas production, its contribution to emissions would, he says, quote, would only rise by 0.67%. Then the Norwegian Armed Forces have signed a landmark agreement with the U.S. for the purchase of some AMRAAM-D air-to-air missiles to the tune of Anok, five billion. I'm not sure if that's even correct. No, Anok. They call it a Nok. Yeah, that's their currency. Okay. I've been to Norway. Yeah, it's a Nok. Yeah. Okay, I've not been to Norway. I don't think. Uh, the 20s were a blur, Jamar. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure if I've ever been to Norway. Maybe. Um, the Nok would be about five billion. That is actually 500 million U.S. dollars. The missiles will be mainly used to equip Norway's new fleet of F-35 fighters. If they get them all, because as they've stated, the DOD doesn't have enough money to keep making more. So not only is this the single largest procurement of arms for the Norwegian armed forces ever, the Norwegian Ministry of Defense said that the medium-range AMRAAM-D is expected to be the main weapon of the country's combat aircraft for decades to come. Then this day in history back in 1776, British troops capture Fort Washington during the American Revolution. And in 1945, the founding of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. That's going to do it for your headlines this Wednesday, November the 16th. You are listening to Fault Lines. All right. Those are your headlines. Talking to the crowd while Minda Lewis doing the headlines, getting into a Star Trek conversation. It was like, don't talk to that person about Star Trek. <laughs> um, but look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Minda Chan. Back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202. 521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is. Don't be shy. We have a full show today. So we I promise you, we'll get to your calls tomorrow. Promise. You have a promise. Maybe but we'll do a little bit of an extended call. Let's do that because it's been it's what, maybe a couple IOU. of days. Yeah, yeah. A couple, couple of days. Yeah, let's put in an IOU. Let's do it like the FTX caller, thing did. Caller IOU. Caller <laughs> IOU. FTX. We're just going to take the money and, and, and use it for stuff for Democrats. But let's get to our, our guests. We have Malik Abdul who's with us. Um, he is co-host of Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. I don't want to preempt that, but I will go there now. Um, Malik, 
What is going on, my man? We're sorry. We went to contact you, and, and then the whole missile thing happened. Got and... all about the fact that you were there. Melilla said something this morning. It was like, oh, that's right. Damn it, Malik's there. Forgot all about it. How's it going, man? How's it going in Mar-a-Lago? Malik is here in this sweltering 85. Oh, don't weather. tell us that. Oh, <laughs> no, we man. don't need to know that. You and Mindy are like, like, oh, like man, it's so hot here. 36 this morning when I got in the car. Yeah, freezing this morning. Um, but what's going on in Mar-a-Lago? How's it going so far? What's your yeah, what take? What happened? Were you in that room with all the flags and all? I, I mean, I saw you were in there. Trump comes out with a dove. He lets the dove go into the sky. It's one room. So Manila said to start. Now, you asked a question last week. You said you wanted to ask. You wondered about security. So I can tell you it was pretty much like um, White House security. So when your Uber, when your car drops you off, it drops you off, not on. It drops you off across the street from where you're supposed to go. And then you're walked across with these armed security guards. They're all over the place. So it is pretty tight security. Um, As you're walking down, I mean, as you're driving down Ocean Drive, I was wondering to myself, I said, oh, wow, it's nine o'clock. Why are you guys out here with your Trump flags and stuff? But whatever, you know, people can do whatever they want to do. But it was really a great event, though. Obviously, it was my first. To get in, was it like the TSA? No, they didn't pat you down at all. No, because your name was already on the list. They did the security check with your name on the list. So the only thing that you had to do was literally just walk across the street. Now, you did go through the, what is that, the mag, magnometer? Yeah. Magnetometer, whatever it's called. yeah. Yeah, magnetometer. So you did have to go through a magnetometer once you actually got on the property. So we were all in, in that room that you saw with all of the flags. That's where we were. So it was just one big room. But my just general takes of it, you know, and I said that Donald Trump, it was about um, he did better than he has been. I will say that it was about 75 percent um, substance, if you will, and probably about 25 percent red meat. Now, the 25 percent, the red meat part is when he said things that people kind of look like hmm, death penalty for drug dealers. He said that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he said that before. And he's particularly talking about the cartel, um, the big, you know, drug cartels and things like that. But believe it or not, it was about 5% of the audience that applauded that. Um, so it wasn't a lot of this is Trump thing. It wasn't the energy itself in the room. So he did throw out a lot of those things, obviously, the things around critical race theory. Um, he didn't go too far with the stolen election thing. He kind of went off script and made a little joke about it, but he didn't do that. And I was actually surprised that it was a, a lot more forward thinking. Now, the biggest thing that I was like, oh, wow. And he got a lot of applause when Donald Trump said a lifetime ban on former members of Congress for lobby, a lifetime lobbying ban for former members of Congress. He also talked about, um, what is it, um, term limits for members of Congress. So, oh yeah, he was taking a very different approach. I didn't expect that. Now, obviously something like a lifetime, lifetime lobbying ban for members of Congress, you know, that Congress is going to recoil from anything like that. But see, Trump doesn't need that though. I mean, for him, he's not trying to get into Congress. He doesn't care about Congress. He's just trying to punish them in some way. And by the way, he says something else. He says, quote, they said an ocean will rise one eighth of an inch over the next 200 or 300 years, but they don't worry about nuclear weapons as they take entire countries with one shot. Something is wrong with their thinking. 
He's right. Well, one of the things, yeah, one of the things that he talked about, um, you know, he, you know, some of the substantive stuff, but he did talk about, like, you know, keeping America out of foreign wars. He talked about um, re- reinstating all of those federal workers who were fired from over COVID. COVID, right. But, yeah, and so he, when he talked about peace through strength, and so that's, I do believe, probably the part that you're talking about, he was talking about peace through strength and particularly mentioned Ukraine and obviously how we wouldn't be in this position if he was in office because Ukraine and Russia would be, you know, negotiating whatever. But one thing that he said, he said that one of his things that he wanted to do as president is to build the next generation of state-of-the-art missile defense shield. So we, we, the United States may have an, their own Iron Dome. Oh, we're back to Star Wars, basically, you know, that, that, that type of stuff. Um, let me actually let me do this. I have a clip of Donald Trump and I have a clip of DeSantis basically responding to the masking about the, compl- uh, the critique that Donald Trump was making. Let's play the first clip. This is Donald Trump um, giving a few, I guess, substantive and none um, in his speech. Let's play the clip. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. So many incredible friends and family here tonight. It's such a beautiful thing. It's, some people say, how do you speak before so many people all the time? If, when there's love in the room, it's really easy if you want to know the truth. <laughs> you ought to try it sometime. <laughs> Together, we will be taking on the most corrupt forces and entrenched interests imaginable. Our country is in a horrible state. We're in grave trouble. This is not a task for a politician or a conventional candidate. This is a task for a great movement that embodies the courage, confidence, and the spirit of the American people. This is a movement. This is not for any one individual. This is a job for tens of millions of proud people working together from all across the land and from all walks of life, young and old, black and white, Hispanic and Asian, many of whom we have brought together for the very, very first time. If you look at the numbers, if you look at what's happened with Hispanic, with African-American, with Asian, and just look at what's happening, this is a party that has become much bigger, much stronger, much more powerful, can do much more good for our country. Well, this is a movement. This is um, something that can basically, this is not something that a politician needs to do. This is something that, and you know what's wild about that? I partially agree with that. I mean, even when I think, I mean, really, not that Trump is a person, but definitely this idea that whatever is going to take place that needs to make some kind of a change, it needs to take place from somebody who's not necessarily entrenched into the political space. I guess the question, Malik, is Trump that person? Is he still an outsider, even having already been POTUS? Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. On one end, Donald Trump is running as the incumbent president, but he's also running as an outsider. And that is part of the conundrum with Donald Trump. But I think he, I think that Donald Trump himself, he's such a unique, and some people may say uniquely flawed, but he's such a unique politician that I honestly think he can. There was a lot throughout the speech where he talked about unity and bringing people together, and all of that was good. And there was a lot of applause. There was a lot of good energy there. But ironically, we were in Florida. We were in Ron DeSantis's, you know, um, backyard. That's right. And that clearly 
was not Ron DeSantis's group. Now, there was a lot of beautiful people there, lots of Botox, a lot of beautiful women. <laughs> you can tell plenty of money. Um, <laughs> plenty of money was in that room, and they are definitely all in on Trump. A lot. It, it was an older, the crowd kind of skewed older. But, you know, it wasn't like your 18 to 24 crowd for sure. But there were a lot of people there who were in support of Donald Trump. One of the things that struck me about it, and as Donald Trump was talking and he was talking about, you know, being president Mar-a-Lago, one of the things that struck me and I said, here we are. So we had a, an election and go and leaving leading up to the midterm, we heard nothing about the fact that several months ago, the FBI was raiding his home right across the street. You know, we heard nothing, like nothing about that factor. And I couldn't help but think that had to have been strategic now because, well, in the sense that we haven't heard anything about Mar-a-Lago. So I believe in the same way that, and this is my, you know, sinister hat, I believe in the same way that Joe Biden um, came up with the student loan cancellation as a political ploy for midterms. I'm starting to think now that Mar-a-Lago, the raid on Mar-a-Lago may have been the very thing because the pressing threat that was in August clearly no longer exists. Oh, right. I mean, see. Wouldn't, wouldn't this have been a boon for him, though? I mean, you would think for him to say, look, the FBI is not talking about it. The mainstream media is not talking about it anymore because this is a nothing burger, another nothing burger. But it was enough to put Trump into people's minds. And so if they were concerned about Donald Trump, the people who maybe even some of his candidates, I think it was just enough to get people to say, no, 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 I don't want any part of this. Now, obviously, I don't know this aspect and to say that the DOJ is corrupt would be an understatement. But I do believe that there, there was a decision made to do the raid when it did. But overall, it was a great event. I kind of really felt like 2016 over again, because obviously, yeah, that was the first time I voted for Donald Trump. And when I say 2016, 2016 over again, the energy, not in just Trump land, but around the country is the same, because people are now in opposition to Trump in the same way that they were in 2016. The conversations we were hearing about donors recoiling and never you know, working with someone like Donald Trump, that's back. <laughs> yeah, the same conversations. Look, I have a clip from DeSantis um, basically responding to the Ron sanctimonious stuff. Let's play the clip. I want to get your take on it. I'd like to know what you think about Trump's big announcement and some of the less than flattering comments he has made about you. Well, you know, one of the things I've learned, like learned in this job is... Um, uh, when you're do when you're leading, when you're getting getting things done, yeah, you take incoming fire. That's just the nature of it. Uh, I roll out of bed in the morning. I've got corporate media outlets that have a spasm just the fact that I'm getting up in the morning, and it's constantly attacking. And this is just what's happened. I don't think any governor got attacked more, particularly by corporate media, than me over my four-year term. And yet, I think what you what you learn is all that's just noise. And really what matters is, are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, are you delivering results for people? And are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, then none of that stuff matters. And, and that's what we've done. We focused on results and leadership. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. Now, the fact of the matter is,
You know, the fact of the matter is, we um, it, it was the the, the greatest uh, Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida, and it wasn't just the best governor victory. Of course, it was that, but we swept in, we swept in super majorities in the Florida legislature. We have 85 Republicans out of 120 in our state house. We've never had that many before. We have 28 senators out of 40 that are Republicans. Never had that many. And honestly, they could have had 29 if they would have done the Osceola one. You know, I, we won Osceola County uh, at the top of the ticket, and I think we probably could have done that. So, so you see that. You see the school boards. We're electing all these great people to school boards. We had tw 16 Republican members of the U.S. House from Florida. Now we have 20. Uh, going up there. So that's four four seats right there. So so at the end of the day, I think people respond to, to the leadership. They respond uh, to the results. And so that's why, even though I know anytime I do anything and you're over the target, you know, you're going to face incoming. That's just the nature of it. But that's not uh, ultimately uh, what matters to people. What matters to people is are you standing up for them? Are you leading? And are you getting things done? And we are. Wow. All right. Let's stop there. So <laughs> on a question about Trump, he basically says, look, look at the scoreboard. We are dominating in Florida. And look, I didn't even realize that DeSantis, that they had won that. I knew DeSantis won a dominating victory. I didn't realize that victory went all the way down to, from the standpoint of the Congress that's in Florida, where they ended up with supermajorities and everything else. What's your take on that? I mean, basically, look at the scoreboard. I'm doing fine. Yeah, so DeSantis is actually right about a number of those things. One is one of the things that I thought it was a bit of hubris. Well, DeSantis needs to understand that corporate media only have been attacking him for the past two years because the previous two years of his president, of his time as governor, no one paid attention to Ron DeSantis. It wasn't until 2020 that corporate media started attacking him, and it wasn't because Ron DeSantis was just doing this glorious job as governor. Ron DeSantis was doing things that kept his name in the national spotlight. So his LGBT things, his response to COVID, all of these things Ron DeSantis was doing, but he made very good points about Florida. But he also needs to understand that Florida is not a microcosm of the rest of America. So what may work in Florida doesn't necessarily work elsewhere. Many places like Miami-Dade, Miami-Dade, Donald Trump lost in 2010, 2016, lost Miami-Dade by 20 points. He lost by 11 in 2020. So Florida has been not only just trending red, you saw a lot of support that he's getting from the, particularly like the Hispanic community, which I'll say is a little different because I assume that he had a larger support from black people. But if you look at his numbers, Ron DeSantis, I believe, got 13% of the black vote in 2018, he got 13% of the vote in 2022. So he's not making inroads necessarily with black people, but it does seem as if he's making inroads with like, you know, um, Hispanics, Cuban-Americans, and people like that. But I just, personally, I don't think that Ron DeSantis is the person, and I've said this before, I don't think he's the one who, you know, um, sends us to Camelot, because we've had various iterations of this. Another popular governor who won, who was the last governor in Florida to win re-election by um, double digits, he was supposed to be the next president of the United States and had all of the donors behind him. What was his name? Jeb Bush. So we've had Jeb no, Bush. We've Jeff. had... Yes, we've had Tim Pawlanty. We had um, Paul Ryan. We've had various people who were supposed to be the next you know, wave or the next iteration of Republicans, and they fizzled. 
<clears throat> and so I expect a similar thing to happen with DeSantis. I don't think that he's a great national candidate, as people do. And that's when I said, when I was talking about 2016, they've anointed at this point um, Ron DeSantis in the same way that they anointed Hillary Clinton. And I don't think it's going to work out too well. Yeah, Malik, what, what about that? I mean, I agree with you that that DeSantis is a good um, Florida candidate. Uh, and people like him as governor, but they may not necessarily want him as president. Now, yeah, I get the mudslinging from Trump. He he slung some at DeSantis. He slung some at Governor Yunkin in Virginia. Um, but obviously that's, you know, he's just trying to take pot shots in, in case, you know, these guys might have any dreams of getting into the, the Oval Office, right? Like he's trying to punch a little, he's trying to throw punches early to be like, hey, Big Papa's back in the house. Y'all stand down. So any (laughs) chance that DeSantis or perhaps even Yunkin could be on the ticket behind Trump? No. (laughs) I don't think, well, definitely not Yunkin. And because, you know, now that he's come out and personally addressed uh, Winston Sears, I don't think that Yunkin has any chance of being on his ticket. Um, DeSantis, I, I don't think that he has a chance, but I also don't think that DeSantis adds anything to the ticket that Donald Trump himself doesn't. That's the problem with people who are really pushing for a Trump DeSantis, because you have Trump and then you have Trump light on the same ticket. They're, they're drawing from the same voter pool. You need someone, like I've said many times before, a Tim Scott or a Nikki Haley or some other person who can bring in a different constituency. And I just don't mean minority. I don't mean because Tim Scott is black or Nikki Haley is an Indian American. They represent something for Trump. It is it is an opposite of Trump. So those people who may not necessarily feel comfortable with Donald Trump may feel more comfortable voting with someone who isn't a, you know, a provocative person, doesn't pick fights with the media, doesn't do all of those things. I think Donald, in a way that kind of Mike Pence was. Oh, he was so milk toast. So Mike Pence was so milk toast. Yes. Yes. But But I think he's worked. Yes. Yes. That's my point. Like Donald Trump was, he had, he, he sucked all of the oxygen out of the room that he didn't need someone else to compete with the oxygen Uh, in the room. By the way, Speaking of Mike Pence, he's doing a CNN town hall. He's got a book that dropped. <laughs> oh, did he? That's why. Yeah. Well, yes, but that's uh, why. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, but that a town hall is comes across as different to me. That comes across as a political event. I mean, I guess he could be pushing the, the, the yeah. But do you think that, that any of this has yeah. anything to do with the presidential race? La- last question here, because we have our next guest lined up. Yes. Yes, that absolutely has something to do with it. Mike Pence, I just saw him this morning on Fox and Friends where he said that he would make a determination over the um, Christmas holiday break. So, yes, he's seriously considering a run. I don't think he has a chance. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Malik, thank you, man. Enjoy that hot weather. Yeah, how long are you going to be down there? I'll I'll be back in studio on Friday. I leave tomorrow. I'm doing a couple of shows today. Okay, okay cool. Well, Sputnik show today, so I'm doing a couple of call-ins. Malik Abdul, co-host, Fault Lines, Radio Sputnik. We'll be back in a moment. Manila, Thomas, back shortly. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. 
Welcome back to Faultlines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And we are joined, continuing our interview from yesterday with David Tawil. David Tawil is co-founder of ProChain Capital, a multi-strategy crypto asset fund covering the entire ecosystem of the burgeoning asset class with deep experience in crypto assets, token mining, venture capital, programming, and asset management. David has managed hedge funds for more than 10 years. He's earned a JD degree from the University of Michigan Law School. David, welcome back, my man. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. How are you doing? We are doing great. Better that you are with us. And we wanted to continue our conversation on the FTX debacle, collapse, crime. Um, and we wanted to go further into that. Um, just as a brief summary for anybody who didn't necessarily catch didn't the catch show. It yeah, they didn't yeah. catch it yesterday. Give us just a brief summary on the FTX collapse. Uh, so in short, FTX uh, was one of the world's largest uh, crypto exchanges. Um, and since uh, these crypto exchanges at least currently operate without any regulatory oversight, FTX is headquartered in the Bahamas. They have a U.S. subsidiary, uh, but nevertheless, uh, no no oversight that we have similar to, let's say, securities or stocks and bonds uh, exchanges and and brokers. Um, Because of that lack of oversight, apparently, uh, FTX went ahead and transferred people's cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, and even cash uh, to another entity that was controlled by the founder and majority owner of FTX. And apparently, when those when those assets were transferred, uh, they were used by the other entity to invest. The investments went poorly, uh, and now uh, everything has been exposed, and there is very little of value remaining for those people who thought when depositing their Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies with FTX uh, that those those deposits are not there. And instead, there's a bunch of worthless stuff, uh, junk, IOUs, and, and things like that. And what was the amount of money that was lost in FTX's, I guess, um, illegal scam? Excellent, Jamal. I, I, um, we don't know yet uh, how much people lost. We know the following. We know that at one point, the value of the exchange, not the deposits that were in it, The value of the exchange was $32 billion. People were investing money to buy uh, a piece of FTX, like the Tom Brady's of the world, let's say, uh, at a $32 billion billion valuation. That's right now almost definitely a zero. Well, explain to us how, how they come to arrive at that sort of valuation. On what grounds? What basis? That, that's a great question. So the way that they went ahead, the, the, the types of things that the investors and, and investments came over time, um, the, the company raised um, o- over $2 billion at a $32 billion valuation. So let, let's understand this. This gentleman who started this all, Sam Bankman-Fried, we will go ahead and for ease, refer to him as SBF. So SBF started this exchange back in 2018, and he started to go ahead and bring in depositors into that exchange and customers, and that was growing pretty quickly. Now, every time 
There is a trade that happens. The exchange takes a little bit of money out of the trade, and they also take a fee for going ahead and you know holding your cryptocurrency on the exchange. So, and and that's very low risk revenue. And if you're growing by the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of customers um, and depositors on a monthly basis. Um, people look to the moon and say, wow, you know, today you have a million customers. You know, if we keep with the same type of growth, you know, a couple of years from now, you could have 100 million customers. You could be the JP Morgan Chase of the crypto world. And that's not far-fetched, right? We believe that the understanding right now is that there are over a million depositors for FTX that have lost their money and that are owed, you know, money value cryptocurrency by the exchange. So if if that, you know, recurring revenue model of trading and depositing and so on, which is a pretty low risk, you know, business plus it's all done technologically, so there's not a lot of human beings in terms of overhead and costs. I mean, it could be a very valuable business, right? 32 billion dollars, yes, is a very valuable is a large number, but you know, in terms of financial institutions that we have, the likes of Chase or Bank of America or Wells Fargo, so on. I mean, this type of valuation, you know, a little bit pales in comparison to those to those companies. And so, therefore, and plus, this is a growing industry as opposed to traditional banking, which is not a growing industry. And so, therefore, they got to this very robust valuation of thirty-two billion dollars at the peak. It didn't start there. Uh, but it ended there. Um, and the idea was that um, that eventually, you know, FTX would be one of the largest, continue to be one of the largest players in the cryptocurrency spe- sector, which would continue to grow the sector overall. And so therefore, you know, the valuation was justified. $32 billion. Have that is you, astonishing. Have you seen anything on your end, on the, on the literally the business end, because this is what you do, um, on your end about the talk of, of how SB, am I saying this right? SBF. SBF. Yeah. SBF um, Bankman. I love that his name, his middle name, or Bank, I know. Bankman. It's the perfect so like Bond ironic. villain yeah. name, right? If you're going to be like an embezzler, of course your name is Bankman. Yeah. Sam Bankman. Um, so SBF allegedly, you know, transferred some money into Ukraine to help, you know, whatever the war effort. And and supposedly some of that money comes out of Ukraine back to Democrat campaigns. And let's face it, the facts are under his own name, under Sam Bankman Freed, he donated about one hundred twenty million dollars to Democrat campaigns for the midterm elections. He was only second to George Soros in terms of donations. But there's a lot of of talk out there that a lot of this money went towards Ukraine and then came back around. There will be a lot of unwinding of all of this uh, over the next, I'd say, months and maybe even years uh, in order to follow the money. Uh, And certainly everybody who got money from Sam Bankman-Fried um, has not been very public about the fact that they are remorseful about what happened. One of the pieces of his um, narrative, let's say, whether genuine or totally made up, uh, was that he was going to be he was very altruistic. <sighs> um, he, he, he pledged to give away 
all of his net worth during his lifetime. Um, you know, this was part of his charade, so to say. Whether he believed the charade or not, let's leave that aside. It was his shtick, um, for sure. But, right. So he would show up looking like a schlump to everywhere. <laughs> he would he would wear a T-shirt and a pair of shorts and an old pair of sneakers and socks um, and have, you know, an unkept head of hair. And this was part of his persona. And people figured he's just this tech genius that frankly doesn't do it for anything other than the love of the game. And he's looking to go ahead and, you know, benefit society. I mean, uh, let, let, let's step back for a second, right? What, one of the, one of the chapters uh, of this that happened right before this all collapsed. Um, I think we talked, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, you guys and I about uh, another crypto collapse, which happened, you know, in the summertime, a company called Terra and Luna. And then there was a couple of bankruptcies that happened as a result of it. They weren't so high profile because they didn't affect as many people. Um, but Three Arrows Capital and Celsius and Voyager, these were a bunch of companies that filed for bankruptcy. The important thing about that as it relates to this was Sam Bankman-Fried came out and said after the bankruptcy of those companies, I am willing to save those companies. I will pay for them. I will buy them for the sake of making their investors whole Whoa. so that they don't lose money. So you've got a pretty messed up narrative here where if this guy knew right? New and either he wasn't facing the music or, you know, in total denial or, or something, or he figured he could whip out a magic wand and, you know, make everything better. But if he was trying to go ahead and solve as, as, you know, recently as two weeks ago, he was the lead bidder for a company called Voyager. He was going to save another company from bankruptcy. Meanwhile, his company is right on the edge of falling apart itself. So either he was delusional or he was doubling down on his bet and figured if he could create a big enough persona, he could essentially will this, you know, to be okay. Um, but certainly this is a person that did a lot of things that don't make sense. So, so this guy was basically like presenting himself as the reverse Gordon Gecko. The savior, exactly. He was the white knight of the world. I mean, he was on magazine covers, you know, being proclaimed either the next Warren Buffett or the next J.P. Morgan. Wow. J.P. Morgan as John Pierpont Morgan, not J.P. Morgan as in the bank that we know today. A human. No. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The tycoon. Correct. Of another age, of the gilded age. Right. right? So people were drawing parallels in terms of everything that he was doing, um, and he lived a, it, it, you know, he lived out this caricature of somebody who really was, you know, going to make all the money in the world and was not going to go ahead and well, feast on it himself, but was going to go ahead and, you know, do good things in the I'm, world. I'm going to go ahead and make a make a bet out there that in about two years, Netflix is going to have Becoming SBF, yeah. <laughs> a movie. Yeah. They're going to do a movie about it once they figure out, you know, unwind, as you said, untangle this mess, right? Thousand and, percent. Agree. And David, the, the Rumble Room is asking, um, are 
is crypto FDIC insured? Was any of this insured? Good question. No, no. Answer no. No, no, no crypto exchanges are FDIC. So that money is just gone. Um, they're, they're not even bank regulated. Let's, yeah, no, it's, it's totally, no, this, this, I mean, the, the whole idea of crypto, and by the way, let me say this for the audience, I'm a crypto bull. I believe in crypto long-term, you know, the, 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 I, we, we talked about this yesterday, but I'll go ahead and mention it again today. Um, this was the collapse of a human or humanity. That's where the fault lies. This is not a collapse of crypto. The, the code wasn't hacked. Um, you know, systems didn't break down. It was a human that put up a smokescreen, made people believe his story, did fraudulent things that either people thought were going were were not going to be done or were you know criminal in nature. And essentially, he perpetrated this on folks that didn't know any better and had they known better, wouldn't have gone along with it. I mean, this is like an Elizabeth Holmes style, you know, the the blood thing. Mm-hmm. The, the woman, right. The thing that a, she, yeah. This is a, she's a, she was a con artist. So this guy sounds like a total con artist. Well, some, it's worse than a con artist. I mean, that's a ton of money to basically lose that you basically steal from people. Has there been any talk about consequences? Uh, there, there's already lots of chatter. Um, I think we got to wait a little while. First of all, he is domiciled in... Um, in the Bahamas. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Not a bad place to be, I'll right. say. Yeah. I, I'm sure the Bahamas, the Bahamian authorities have already gotten many calls from their U.S. counterparts saying, hey, you know, you, you got to let us take care of this. Uh, you know, we have a much more, I don't know, robust legal system, maybe, uh, than in the Bahamas. Certainly our, our prosecutors are going to want to go ahead and prosecute him. Um, you know, even if they believe that he will get, you know, what's due to him in the Bahamas, I'm sure that our folks here, oh yeah, not, we're going to want to go ahead and yeah. we're going to want to go ahead and put on a show, um, you know, for purposes of everybody understanding this is what happens when you do something like this. Like moral hazard. Um, so yeah, there's definitely talk about criminal activity, and you know, in today's day and age, first of all, there's you know, there's tons of paper trails and. Also, I mean, he he was <laughs> and he still is a prolific, a prolific member of Twitter. Uh, still? So he, he, he is he is still tweeting. Has yes. he responded to any of this um, in, in his own cryptic and very strange ways? I mean, there was a, a there was a, a story that came out um, that I guess he planted um, saying that he is now trying to raise money to save the company, but the company's already in bankruptcy. So I don't really know what the, what he means um, by that. I mean, I'm a bankruptcy lawyer by training and by practice for a bunch of years. I don't know what he means by I'm going to save this company. It's already in bankruptcy. The Bahamas uh, court has already appointed PwC as liquidator or administrator of this company. So I don't know what kind of rescue there could be, but maybe again, maybe it's part of his story saying, listen, I was always trying to do the best for the investors. You know, I'm sorry that I messed up, which is a good, it's a good narrative for him to play on. If at the end of the day, what he's looking for at best right now is avoiding a prison sentence. 
Whoa. Right? To say, I was doing my best. I tried my best. Things didn't go my way type of thing. I mean, that's his best defense right now. He can't plead insanity or anything like that. And the documentation that he gave to his depositors says explicitly, we're going to go ahead and hold on to your cryptocurrency. And he didn't do that. He, he defrauded them. He stole from them. That's, you know, there's, there's no two ways about that. So, I, you know, he, he, maybe he's trying to lay down some sort of, of story for his defense eventually if he's, you know, if he's brought up on criminal charges. I, I, I don't know. This looks bad. I mean, I invest with TD Ameritrade in order to buy stocks. I come back later and find out that they've sold, meaning, meaning the stocks weren't real. They basically sold them for their own um, aggrandizement. And then later comes out and says, well, we're trying to do our best for the investors that we basically completely defrauded. That's, I mean, that's mind-blowing. I couldn't imagine um, investing in the cryptocurrency and then finding out that the money that I invested in, it was basically stolen for something else, which is basically what this guy did. Yeah, well, that's why when you own cryptocurrency, um, the idea is is that you can hold it yourself. You don't need to hold it in an E-Trade, right? Mm-hmm. The difference between stocks and cryptocurrency is that your stock, you need to hold with a broker, right. right? You can't hold it by yourself. There's no way to go ahead and do that. We've stopped issuing physical stock certificates a long, long time ago, which you could have held in your bank safe. You know, once upon a time, if they were stolen, well, too bad. You know, it's like cash. Yeah, and your point is that cryptocurrency, you can just hold it yourself. You don't need these organizations to do it. Um, David, thank you, man. Appreciate this breakdown. Because I I didn't entirely get the, I guess, the overall gravity of the story. Yeah, I just didn't understand the tiny details, the granular details that David obviously knows. Explains, yeah. David Will, he is co-founder of ProChain Capital, a multi-strategy crypto asset fund covering the entire ecosystem of the burgeoning asset class with deep experience in crypto assets, token mining, capital programming, and asset management. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. You hear the music. We're closing. I want to thank our engineer. Yes, our producers. I want to thank Vanilla Chan. I want to thank Malik, who is on the ground um, covering the Mar-a-Lago thing. And I want to thank all of you guys. We will see you bright and early in the morning. Fault Lines, over the hump. See you on Thursday. Fault Lines.